Alrighty, well, what is going on, everybody? This is a wrong episode 471. It's a podcast for hardcore cinephiles where we tackle everything from Jean-Luc Godard to Jean-Luc Picard. And today we're doing either our third or fourth San Diego Comic-Con recap with the great Becky Deanna. And this is a big moment because you work for Sony and I've got a big movie on the horizon in a couple days. So before we get into all the Comic-Con insanity, do you have anything you want to say about a little-known movie by a director who likes movies quite a bit that's coming out on Thursday? Uh, just to go see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out um, on the uh, this Friday, which is the 26th. Is that right? The 26th. Uh, and you, will have seen, you saw it last night, and it's okay for me to say that, and you will post a review very soon. <laughs> I've only seen uh, I've actually only seen 30 minutes of it um, th- they are pretty hardcore about us seeing it too I will see it this week uh, but the 30 minutes I saw was amazing and I will have to talk about it later about the certain scenes that I saw which were amazing and riveting uh, so that comes out and then I think Spider-Man Far From Home is going to make a billion dollars maybe Indeed. this weekend I saw a couple of days ago that it already surpassed Homecoming so yeah. hoorah hoorah yeah it's made 970 million dollars <clears throat> so we are at what is that that's are we yeah can you confirm or deny the rumors that the future collaboration between Sony and Marvel hinged upon the movie crossing that billion dollar threshold because whenever I see rumors like that I'm like are these people basing this on pure bullshit or do they actually have insiders? But obviously the big question is with one uh, movie left on Tom Holland's contract, what is the future for the Spider-Man franchise? Will Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige continue to work together? Because obviously Marvel fans want to see Spidey stay in the MCU. Amy Pascal might be like, you know what? Spidey's popular. We can go off and do our own little thing. But I kept seeing that if it crossed the billion mark, then that would encourage Sony to want to continue this partnership with Marvel, which I guess officially is kind of sort of drawn to a close. Uh, I can't really talk. <laughs> These are hard talk questions, man. No, more, no more softballs here in Wrong Real. <laughs> yeah, let, yeah. I don't want to lose my job. Uh, uh, from what I understand, and uh, I know I'm pretty, I'm pretty well versed in what's happening at Sony. Conversations like that are not are not being are not being discussed as far as I'm aware. So uh, I don't know where people are getting that from. But uh, I think, in my own opinion that um, this is a tremendous uh, collaboration, and I'm assuming Marvel and Sony would like it to continue. From a story standpoint, all internet rumors and fake news and nonsense aside, from a pure story standpoint, there were so many ingredients in Far From Home that seemed to be positioning Spider-Man to be the heart and soul in the center of the MCU moving forward in terms of being the heir apparent to Iron Man's legacy. Obviously, Robert Downey Jr., I think the 10 or 11 movies with Marvel, it would make sense from a story standpoint for them to continue along those lines. Mm-hmm. But the showbiz is crazy. You never know what might happen. Yeah, it's true. Show business is crazy. But I think it's just going to be a big celebration um, because Amy Pascal wanted, was hoping that Amazing Spider-Man 2 was going to make a billion dollars. I was um, I was at the studio. I've been at the studio for 12 years. Um, it was really important for us. We all had this war room about the marketing of it. And I was constantly creating reports and evaluating where the markets were. And we really hoped and believed that Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 was going to make a billion and that and was our I whole saw the dream. movie and realized that was not going to happen it did not happen 
uh, did not happen with homecoming. So it'll be a huge accomplishment, especially for Amy, who had really wanted, um, really dreamed and hoped that that movie was going to make a billion. And I think that we celebrated all day when Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse won an Oscar. Which deserved uh, to be a part of the billion dollar club, but people have bad taste in movies, so they didn't appreciate it. <laughs> uh, that, But it was so gratifying to work on a film that we all believed in for so long. And it was also so well received, which is uh, ex- was incredibly exciting and that we really felt like we uh, we all earned that and we did that together. And there was a big celebration uh, the Monday after um, Far From Home came out. I was on vacation, so I wasn't a part of it. But I, I can't imagine there won't be a bigger celebration when we make a billion dollars. And I, I can't imagine that's not going to happen. It's so there's never close, been a so. Spidey flick that's crossed the billion dollar mark, obviously apart from no. like the ones where he's a member of the Avengers and that sort of thing? No, there has not been a single. Interesting. Yeah, because Batman's part of that club. Iron Man's part of that club. And in terms of comic book icons, I'm not talking about movie biz. I'm just saying for, for readers, back in the day, Spider-Man was the poster child of Marvel. It wasn't Cap, it wasn't Iron Man, it wasn't Wolverine, it wasn't any of these characters that are so beloved. Spider-Man was always the heart and soul of the Marvel Universe from the early 60s on. Spider-Man, you know, obviously Fantastic Four since they were first. He deserves to be a part of that elite club. So I'll be uh, rooting for y'all all the way. Yeah, and the only franchise we've ever had that made a billion dollars was Skyfall. So this will be Sony's second oh, so billion dollar franchise. so Welcome to the Jungle didn't, cr- didn't cross over? It came so close. <laughs> It, it came so close. I'm trying to look up what the box office was, but uh, it was pretty close, but didn't make it. It made more than Spider-Man, uh, but it uh, it made $962 million. That's pretty doggone close. It's close enough pretty for close. horseshoes and hand grenades, as they yeah, say. Yeah, but it this would be our second billion-dollar franchise, which is really, really be amazing. Hell yeah. All right. Well, go Sony. All right, so let's get into Comic-Con. I think the best way to do this, just sequentially, we'll go through it Wednesday to Sunday. We can talk about the things that were your favorite moments. And I know, obviously, it's physically impossible to be present at all things because there are thousands of events going on with hundreds of thousands of people running around. It's just total, complete bedlam. And it's actually kind of easier if you're just on your computer with, like, the bird's eye view, just watching trailers as they drop to kind of keep track of everything. Because once you're there, it's like fog of war. There's so much going on around. So we'll get both perspectives. We'll get the nerdy internet perspective from me, and we'll get the the boots-on-the-ground perspective from Becky Deanna. So Wednesday night... Did you do anything big? I was at the Dave Chappelle show, not Dave Chappelle show, but the Dave Chappelle, he was doing stand-up on Broadway Wednesday night, so I was not paying attention at all. But a couple, can't remember, did anything drop on Wednesday night? The It trailer, was the, did that come out that night? The It Chapter 2 trailer? I did my reaction on Thursday. I'm not sure if it dropped Thursday morning or Wednesday evening, but I think they did an okay. It like scare experience. They did the scare, Di- scare, what's called Scare Diego panel. Clever. <laughs> on Wednesday night. You had to get, uh, I think it, that was offsite. You could apply to get tickets for that. They did it last year. I remember you asked me about it. I don't go to that because Wednesday night for me um, is, as a fan, um, is preview night. It's three hours where you get um, access on the exhibit floor before anyone else. I mean, uh, there's a ton of people who have tickets to preview night. So it's not like it's like an empty floor and you have your go at whatever you want. But it's for me, it's the night where I get to get all the women be shopping. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
where uh, my bank calls me every single year and thinks that a nerd stole my credit card because I'll have purchased something. Because if you buy at different booths on a credit card, it'll be like Boston, you know, San Diego. It's all of a sudden uh, got you, got charges you. from like five different, you know, all these different states. They think someone stole your card and you're what like, no, I- What was your weirdest I've... purchase? Oh my gosh. Like you bring home like a, like a life-size replica of Galactus or anything like that? or. <laughs> No, my most exciting purchase was this uh, NECA collectible of John Connor on his motorbike that um, usually the NECA booth is only about, uh, isn't too bad. Like the line's about 30 minutes and then preview night I didn't. So I got in line, the the floor opened at 6 p.m. I got in line at 6.05 and they said, oh, the line's capped, which I thought was shocking. And then I, so I, they're like, come back in an hour and a half. I went over to another booth to get the Spock doll that I wanted <laughs> from the Think ETH booth. And I went over there and then all of a sudden they opened the neckline. I jumped back in at 612 and then I was in line for two hours. So 90% of my preview night was in line to get this NECA collectible, which I also got for Joe Duffy because I promised him I would Beautiful, get him one. Beautiful, excellent. Now, I, I was blown away by the fact that on Twitter, you were basically taking requests from our community for gear. I was like, God damn, you're really opening the door to going shopping for like 30 or 40 people? <laughs> yeah, I only did it for a few select people. But Joe Joe had, a, I saw on Twitter about a month ago, he was super excited about the this NECA exclusive and he was hoping that NECA would put it online. And I said, hey, I, I go, I go on preview night. I'm probably going to buy it. I could just buy you one. And so, but everybody was great. I think everybody that I bought stuff for has already paid me back. Beautiful. Um, via Venmo or PayPal, which is exciting. And then I also did, I bought some shirts for a handful of wrong real contributors for Picard shirts I did the next day. But yeah, so I got that collectible. I took most of my preview night, but then I had an hour left and I was able to pick up all this other stuff. But it's, I was so excited at one of the booths uh, that I left my debit card there. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to buy this like Spock doll at Think Geek and these pins. And then I like was so excited that I like left. And then about 10 minutes later, I was buying something else. And I realized that I didn't have my debit card. And I went back and I because that's the thing that happens is you're just so adrenaline fueled and you're like a crazy person that you like do stupid things like you drop your camera or you leave your debit card somewhere. But luckily, every time I found everything. So well, next but, year, yeah. I'm going to have you bring me back a like a life size replica of Silver Surfer's actual surfboard. <laughs> something totally ridiculous just to uh, hamstring you and just test the limits of our friendship oh no so yeah so Wednesday night was great I got a bunch I got majority I got everything that I had wanted to get I got Wednesday I did more shopping throughout the the next few days but the stuff that was really important to me I got a hold of and there was also but I didn't get I'm gonna go on eBay today that Hallmark had an exclusive a Star Trek uh, keepsake ornament for Mirror Mirror it was uh, the Terran Empire Enterprise, and I and I knew there was no way I was getting that. I tried last year for an exclusive, and so I'd rather just buy it on eBay for like twice the amount than spend my whole entire preview night trying to get it. Because one time I tried, and there was they finally said there was eight left, and and there was like there was no way I was going to get it. So I decided to just let me just pay more money and get it myself. Fair enough. Well, let's. But Oh, but do you want to talk about Scare Diego? I mean, did you? Did, what did you think about the trailer? Oh, it's it tra cool. Yeah, I mean, I, it's one of those things where it's the first time I've seen a horror franchise kind of start to feel more like an X Men movie. Where in terms cool. of if 
it's like an event movie, whereas horror has always kind of been the, the redheaded stepchild, like, you know, low budgets, off in the fringes, where all of a sudden now it's like, this might be a horror movie that could cross the billion dollar mark. And I can't remember the last time, probably not since like the days of like Scream and Scream 2, where you just have this giant hype train just pushing a horror movie all the way. So I really enjoyed the first one. I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie. It wasn't necessarily that scary, but it was a lot of fun. But I love the cast for this new one. I love Jessica Chastain. I, lo- I love all these actors. So... I'll be there on opening day without a doubt. But just as someone, it's interesting watching just the horror genre right now where you've got your crazy highbrow horror like Midsommar and you've mm-hmm. got your 50,000 Halloween remakes that they're planning with Jamie Lee Curtis. And then you've got these <laughs> giant event horror movies, which is kind of a new phenomenon. So I feel like when we're 70, 80, 90 years old, like people who are a couple of decades our, our junior will probably be looking back very fondly on this era. It's a really juicy period for the horror genre. Yeah, I think so too. I I saw I was obviously I didn't go to the event, but I looked up what what happened at the panel, and then uh, the trailer was all received. The whole cast was there. Um, and then the movie picks up twenty seven years after the orig- the first one, and uh, yeah, I mean the, the it, it does. I don't think it doesn't look as scary as the first one, but who knows what the what it's going to be. And- this new trailer was particularly not scary. The first one they said that long scene where you got to have some mood and some atmosphere. This was just like. Just kind of like, you know, big crazy lights, clowns in your face, that sort of thing. So I think it'll be fun. But I I don't know if it has the ability to be scary. Like Midsommar was like this wild, hypnotic, transportive, Mm -hmm. unnerving experience. Like it was like a genuine cinematic experience. It is like just going to Six Flags and hopping on a roller coaster and you're you're riding into Pennywise's mouth and yeah. But I I don't know. Like as a horror fan, it's a great time to be a horror fan. Like you said, like we have the art house horror and you have big budget and you you can be terrified in all different types of ways. So this is super exciting. I'm excited about it. Um, Midsommar, I was like literally like an empty shell of a person when it ended. (laughs) It's intense. yeah, and I actually thought the first the first major thing that happens in that movie before the credits roll was probably the most psychologically damaging thing I've ever experienced watching a movie. So uh, it was, yeah, it was intense. So I like, you know, it's not for everybody, but there is all different types of horror you can seek out. And then they also announced, I think, in the, or throughout the week that the two Halloween movies that are going to be released. Uh, that was just an announcement by John Carpenter on Twitter. Did you see that? Well, I saw the announcement that they're doing a Halloween 2 and 3 and I was just like, yeah. It, it reminds me of uh, that bit in Dumb and Dumber when the, when Jim Carrey's at the bar and this girl keeps rambling about her ex-boyfriends and he's like, no, and I don't care. <laughs> That's <laughs> kind of how I feel at this point with all these yeah. Halloween remakes and reboots. Right. I just, I don't, I, I will see them but I don't care. If you do care, though, uh, just so you know that if anyone listening does care, that uh, John Carpenter did tweet out like a little teaser that talked about how October 16, 2020, uh, Halloween Kills is the next is the sequel is the sequel to his hol- is to uh, David Gordon Green's last movie, and then the following year, October 15, 2021, it's going to call it Halloween Ends. Uh, so in case you're interested and you re- really like that David Gorda Green film, these are the the two that I think he's they're making a trilogy. And there was talk before Comic-Con that they were going to release these two movies back to back in the same month uh, next year, which I think would have been, I think the stu- Universal would have been like, no, thank you. Let's not cannibalize well, you're just, our own. You're just leaving money on the table. Yeah, you're leaving yeah. money on the table. So I so it's nice that it, it really is just one year apart. So I'm interested. I didn't I didn't I didn't hate the David Gordon Green film. I enjoyed it. I think my expectations were sort of sky high because last year at at Comic Con the footage I was really floored by it. So I was really sky high, and so I thought it was good, but I didn't love it. And so I'm I'm just gonna go in, you know, 
cautiously optimistic on these and but I'm not like you know freaking out about them but it is interesting to note that those films are coming out and that was announced during Comic-Con but not gotcha. actually now quick marketing question this one's one thing I noticed is that some trailers were dropping over Comic-Con when they were saying it's a San Diego Comic-Con trailer release but they didn't have panels or events at Comic-Con as a marketer does that count like when hbo like slaps sdcc on their latest watchman trailer but doesn't bother to actually talk about watchman at comic-con are they cheating i think so i think that's cheating <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's definitely cheating because it i think the excitement is when it's in a panel and then it's released a minute after and i know some people are like why go to comic-con if like the trailer's released and they just show it but because the people that are seeing it and um, in Ballroom 20 or Hall H are seeing it maybe like two minutes before you get to see it as the public. But it's still exciting to be there. But I don't know how you slap a Comic-Con logo on something when it wasn't, when it's just released in the same window, especially if there's not a panel. That's not fair, I don't think. But I think you're capitalizing. The smart thing is you're capitalizing on the buzz of a lot of people going online and seeing what's out there. But I don't think you, I don't think it's it's fair to put a logo on it oh, or right. announce it as a Comic-Con release. Well, we, can, we can talk some smack about that trailer when we get to it. But let's talk a little about Thursday because Thursday, I don't know, some of these trailers that dropped on Thursday, I don't even know if they were actually there at Comic-Con, but obviously the big announcement was this weird trailer that melted the internet, the Cats trailer, which I have, oh. to, ask, <laughs> I have to ask you about because it's just like, I think people forget just how strange and insular a community uh, Broadway can be in terms of the flavor and the tone of these shows and my mother sees every major Broadway show she's been doing it for like 40 years she loves all of it but for the outside world that doesn't go see these shows I think they forget just how odd and unto itself Broadway can be and suddenly you yeah. have this bizarre trailer which definitely feels all in on the Andrew Lloyd Webber experience I saw Cats that summer 1986 on Broadway you know all the girls wearing leg warmers and jumping around in cat suits what was your reaction to like Judy Dench wearing a coat made out of her own fur and all these large faces on small heads and you know strange kind of sort of sexualized cat furry people but also strangely it just there's so many things to unpack <laughs> yeah uh, uh, I it was bafflement when I watched it but I actually didn't watch it until last night because uh, that's another thing where like uh, you know you're sitting in line trying to get in somewhere or buy an exclusive and it's like Cats trailers released and you're like this is an odd time to release a trailer because again it wasn't at Comic Con and, and what I had heard just I hadn't seen it until yesterday I'd heard people saying oh this isn't as bad as I thought it was and oh it looks kind of fun like I just saw positive things and I thought oh because I thought it sounded horrible when they were said they were going to make it I didn't know how it was going to work and then so I had an open mind when I watched it yesterday, just in case you asked me about it, but I just was baffled by it. It just looks like a well, train wreck to me. Twice as many dislikes as likes, which is oh, never, okay. never a good sign for a trailer. I noticed with CW recently, they had a similar situation with their Batwoman trailers and they had so many negative reactions. They actually uh, turned the videos to private so they wouldn't... Oh which I've never even seen somebody do before, where you literally turn off your trailers because you don't want the damaging feedback. Obviously, you work at Sony. There's a similar situation with Ghostbusters back in 2016. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely something to be alarmed by. I've never posted a video on YouTube ever where I had more dislikes than likes. 
And I think the worst it's ever been is like 25% dislike, which a lot of my, a lot of my Star Trek videos, I get a lot of dislikes from people who are all in and like, fuck you. And I'm like, well, fuck you too. Because some people, like, <laughs> I think I'm probably one of those. <laughs> yeah. Like, some, like some people, code name. yeah, I, I, roughly 75% of the people agree with my, you know, my, my mean spirited reviews and so on and so forth. But I can't imagine what you must feel like if you've got like $200 million invested in a movie and twice as many people dislike it as like it when you post a trailer. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that. I, I just saw peripherally a few people that posted it. Like I didn't go deep dive and just had said, oh, you know, like they seem like they're positive, but I get in it, go in to see exactly. I'm trying to find because I thought I had written it down here, but uh, oh, yeah. I know it's just um, that Tom Hooper guy. I don't, I'm not a fan of his. Yeah, I, I didn't like King's like, Speech and I, I did not like see Les Mis. And I didn't like Les Mis, but I like kind of hate it, King's Speech. I know that's really a divisive thing to say because a lot of people just absolutely loved it and it won the Oscar. I think it was more <clears> bitter <throat> than it. No, it's the worst Twitter. kind of Oscar bait. It's one of those movies that wins an award when it comes out and yeah. everybody cries. And this is the kind of thing my family's always getting on my nuts about. We're like, you don't like crowd-pleasing movies. I'm like, yes, I do. Like, I go see more crowd-pleasing movies than you do, but I don't like obvious manipulative sentimental movies like King's Speech where they win a lot of awards and then five years later no one ever watches them again. I feel like the Academy Awards are f littered with these kind of movies where just film history is better than the Academy Award winners and King's Speech is always like the example I hold up like this is what the Academy is all about but cinema as an art form is better than King's Speech. Yeah, I think I wanted to like burn the place down when it beat Social Network. Uh, I was really upset by that. Case and on top of the fact that I didn't like it to begin with, I, I fell asleep during King's Speech. Social Network's like a but real my movie. I really that, like that yeah, movie. That is a, yeah. like a movie movie, and King's Speech yeah. is just pure Oscar bait. Yeah. So, but I do know there's a lot of people out there that like King's Speech. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I just personally wasn't a fan of it. Um, and I just was so floored by Social Network. I was kind of infuriated personally. That, I think that I saw Social event. Network four times in the theater. Really? Yeah, yeah it's good. And I, they keep it's talking. So Jesse Eisenberg says he's down for part two. I know. I heard I would, I'm down for, to watch that. I hope David Fincher comes back. Yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't be the same without David Fincher. And yeah. you need to get Aaron Sorkin to write. You need you need, yeah. you need, you need the whole gang. You, uh, no, was it Trent Reznor did the score for the uh, Social Network as well? Like, yeah. You need, you need to get the whole team back in place. But Thursday, I love that. I'm sorry. That sorry, I love the line in Social Network, which is like, it, people don't like you because you're a geek. They don't like you because you're an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my god, this is like what I want to write to like every day to people. So I'm found mad on me. Absolutely, people who have the, the victimhood complex, and it's like, no, you're just being a dick. All right. Well, <laughs> Thursday, all kinds of crazy things happened. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to save your favorite for last on Thursday because okay. I, I know this can be a big one. But there was a long trailer for His Dark Materials from HBO, which is a, that their next big fantasy thing. Obviously, they tried to do it as a movie back in like 2008. It didn't quite perform, but now they're going all in. It's got the little girl from Logan. I've never read His Dark Materials. I understand that the first novel is next level greatness when it comes to fantasy and then there, it kind of like fizzles but I'll be curious about that we had the Jay and Silent Bob reboot trailer which looked just as bad as it sounds and I, I hated Jay and Silent oh, Bob yeah, Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back is one of the one of my most hated movie going experiences I've ever had where I wanted to attack the screen with like a razor I was I mean it, oh. it really turned me on, on Kevin Smith in a big way um, but one that I wanted to ask you about is Top Gun Maverick 30 plus years of service. Combat medals, citations, 
Only man to shoot down three enemy planes in the last 40 years. Yet you can't get a promotion. You won't retire. Despite your best efforts, you refuse to die. You should be at least a two-star admiral by now. Yet here you are. Captain. Why is that? It's one of life's mysteries, sir. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on the first look at Tom Cruise returning to a franchise that's been gone for 33 years? Uh, Tom Cruise looks like he's 25 in this trailer. I don't understand what's happening there. I don't understand how he doesn't age. But that was like my biggest takeaway because, uh, first of all, I saw the trailer right after, which we'll talk about in a second, one of the most, um, the best experience I think I've ever had at Comic-Con, which was the Terminator Dark Fate uh, panel which we'll talk about in a second i was like literally floored and then like we were getting up to go and then um uh, uh what's his um is it conan came out and was conan like O'Brien? uh yeah and was like hey and we're like what's happening because we were about to go <laughs> and he's like um sit back down um i have something amazing to show and then 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 tom cruise came out and then people were freaking out about tom cruise was and that then his he's first like, comic-con appearance I don't think it is. I feel like he came. I feel like he came a, a few years ago, and it was kind of a similar thing. And I can't remember what it was about. But he came out, and people were like, lo- like lost it. And then he showed the Top Gun trailer, which the response was pretty palpable. People were really excited about it. Um, and I had heard a few days ago that they said, with because Terminator Dark Fate is paramount, that there was a tease that Tom Cruise might be there to show Top Gun. But I, you know, a lot of people kind of forgot about it, and the Terminator panel went over, and that's why people were ready to go and then like that's why he had to kind of like get everybody to come like sit back down for this and then they showed it um and uh, people seem to really like i mean honestly i i like my mom is like super excited yeah, like, and comic con attendees are young they're like 20 they were not yeah. alive until long after Top Gun initially came out. Yeah, and I have a lot of friends. Like I'm 42. I have a lot. I have a. I have a. Ha- I have a lot of friends that like this movie was a big deal to them and really important to them. Personally, it wasn't a film. Like I. I haven't seen Top Gun in like 15 years or longer. I. I, I like Top Gun. I remember seeing it once. It's not a film. I don't. I don't think I even own it. So I personally wasn't freaking out about it. I, I'm. I'm interested in seeing it. It looks entertaining. Um, but you know, obviously, if you have a connection to it, the music and and the the way it looked, it looked very cinematic. I think people were freaking out about it. I, like I said, my mom's super excited and about Tom it. Tom Cruise did a lot of his own stunts—not stunts, yeah. but he was in the jet this time for a lot of footage because he's. That's kind of what Tom Cruise does now. He jumps out of buildings and jumps out of planes and yeah. climbs. We, we basically every year or so we we turn up, we pay tickets to watch him act like a maniac at knocking at the door of sixty, 
And so like the physical toll on the human body, having all that pressure on you in those jets, I can't imagine what it's like, but you can tell this is some gorgeous like live footage inside these goddamn jets flying around. But I've never seen any movies by this director. I didn't see Tron Legacy. I didn't see Oblivion. So I really don't know what to expect, but Joseph Kosinski, I hope he delivers. Tony Scott obviously had a very specific flavor and style to his movies. That's going to be very tough to replicate. And obviously we're no longer living in the 1980s, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I, I, it's weird. I went through for like 20 years. I just fucking hated and despised Tom Cruise and everything he was associated with. But now that I've just accepted the fact that he's a maniac, both with the Scientology stuff as well mm-hmm. as with his stunts, I'm just like, all right, I, I will show up and watch him act like a maniac every time he <laughs> does one of these movies. Uh, yeah. So, oh, sorry. Just, I wanted to confirm. I'm like, am I crazy? Yeah. It was introduced by Conan O'Brien. So he came out and he was like, Hey, and we were like, what's happening? Cause we were all going to leave. But, um, I, I know that this uh, movie is important to a lot of people and it's a lot of some, a lot of people's favorite films. So I think it's going to give them what they want. I think I seem like reaction was positive online. I watched it again today. And it, like I said, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Quick marketing question. There's a dra- yeah. bit of drama about his jacket and how the flags oh. on his jacket have been changed to appease Chinese politics in that the Chinese market these days is so big because uh, oh. Japan and Taiwan, which are you know China's not a fan really of either, have been removed from his, I guess, his bomber jacket or flight jacket, whatever the proper terminology is. And a lot of people were recognizing that as a very clear overt nod that Hollywood now will always bend to appease whatever the current political trends in China might be. I don't think that's, um, I don't, I think that's a smart decision. <laughs> Actually, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, especially Paramount has a lot of, uh, does have a lot of their films that are, uh, uh, promoted by, I mean, that have funding from I China. Think and the I studios, think studios like owned by like a yeah. Chinese and like some company of some kind. Yeah. And the, I think the last Star Trek movie, I think a half, like half of the budget was, was, um, brought in by, I mean, was, was funded by China. So I think if China, um, I mean, I think whoever, maybe, I don't know what company it was, but if they had said, Hey, any chance this could be removed? I don't think that that's, I mean, I don't think it's just, it's like, a, it's such a big deal to remove something like that to appease your financiers. I mean, maybe people think it's, upsetting but i think as a marketing thing if, if that's actually what happened i don't see anything well i know I in the past there have been different cuts for china like, like, like captain america winter soldier there's that famous bit where he's putting together a list of pop culture references and it was a different mm-hmm. list for every territory where the movie played so it'd be pop culture references that those cultures would understand and i know with china sometimes there have been longer cuts or kind of slightly yeah. more favorable cuts so it's just interesting seeing how Chinese, China's a very important market now, obviously, and it's just, it's just, I think this is a, this is a relationship that bears further study moving Again, forward. But you also, I mean, there's even stuff with storylines where you don't, I mean, you can't get stuck where your movie might not do as well because, like, 2012, there was an issue with, uh, issue internationally with one of the storylines. I remember when we the Rolex Emmerich movie that we didn't realize after it came out and affected our box office. Uh, so, like, that can happen. But I think if someone's financing financing it and they're like, hey. Any chance that a small thing could be removed, and I don't think it's important to the storyline, then yeah, I, I don't see an issue with it. I think maybe more pure people will, like that this is so important. But I don't think, I mean, that doesn't seem like such a central part of a story that would be, if it's a easy fix. Personally, I don't see anything, a, a reason for a, anything wrong with that. Gotcha. Well, let's wind you up and turn you loose on a topic that I know is of particular importance to you. Last night, I was standing there looking at a monitor. On one camera was Linda Hamilton, and on another camera was Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
I thought, holy fuck, I'm making a Terminator movie. Okay, hey, let's recapture that tone. It's R-rated, it's grim, it's gritty, it's fast, it's intense. Work hard and play hard, and this is what this movie was all about. Tim has this fresh vision, and like what he did in Deadpool, his action is huge. It's just a fast white knuckle ride. You better watch your ass. I hunt Terminators. Metal motherfucker. It follows tonally in the footsteps of T1 and T2. That adrenaline rush feeling, that sense of terror. In this film, the action is 10 times bigger. It's like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. This film is relentless. It just does not stop. Just fucking insane. A little franchise that's coming back in a big way, Terminator Dark Fate. And I saw the sizzle reel kind of behind the scenes featurette, which had some footage and some interviews, but give us the lowdown on the full Terminator Dark Fate panel. So I heard about that teaser because the, the some behind the scenes thing. I need to check that out. I, did they release it during... Comic-Con? I, I think it came out like an hour or two after the panel ended, but it's just Arnold's in like, oh, it's very intense. And like, you know, it's James Cameron uh, <laughs> c c cussing about it. And it, it's just basically. Oh, I have to check it out because they didn't show that during the panel. I think because we actually got the real stars. Yeah, so I think this James is Cameron even drops an F-bomb in the feature talking about the movies. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because Tim Miller like said the F word like a gajillion times during the panel. And there was even a joke about that because I guess he said the F word a few times. And then um, I guess they revealed that um, one of the actors and Arnold Schwarzenegger had a bet about like if if uh, Tim Miller said the F word more than 10 times. This is wrong real. We don't have to call it the F word. We can just yeah. say fuck. Well, I feel like saying the F word. I may say I may say it out loud if I'm, I'm, if I'm quoting somebody, but I prefer to. I, that, that That's just how I talk. I actually say the F word. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, give us start, start, start to finish because obviously okay. I heard it was R-rated. Obviously, Eddie Furlong is yeah. back as John Connor, and uh, so what yeah, those, so, I those are the big, yeah. the big news items, I guess, related to the flick. Yeah, so to take you through the experience, so which is probably not super relevant to anyone, but like I, I this if you if you're not aware, Terminator Two is my favorite film of all time. Um, the first year it came out, I saw it three times in the theater and 19 more times on Laserdisc. It's a really important film for me. I've written about it. I've talked about it. It's a very uh, important to, it's the film that made me fall in love with movies. So I was very pumped for this uh, panel. The thing about Thursday panels uh, is you could essentially just walk in to uh, panels on Thursday. Last year, the, I think a few, like, few years ago, they had the Kingsmen, and they, they'll have big movies, um, and they'll have DreamWorks movies, whatever, but you can kind of walk in. So I got in line about two hours before, just in case there was any reason why it was crazy. So Comic-Con organizers kind of messed up, and they didn't start letting people into the uh, room until too late. So I was just talk, talking with my friend, uh, Brad, Brad and Dave, and we were just talking it up and having a whole conversation, and we walked into Hall H, and I didn't even look at my uh, 
I didn't even look at see what time it was. The panel started at 11 a.m. It was 11.08 when we walked in. And when we walked in, the panel was 25% full because they were started letting people in so late. So I walked in and I was so confused because James Cameron is live streaming from the Avatar set and talking on this big monitor. And there's like 25% of the, uh, there's like a thousand people in Hall H and it filled 6,500 people. So I was like, wait, what's happening? Why are we late? What? So I was, that was kind of a big mess up uh, for the Comic-Con organizers. So we got our seats. I sat down and you could hear James Cameron talking about the film. And then he flippantly, just like as if he just said what he had for dinner, is like, oh, Lynn, you know, Linda Hamilton's back. Oh, yeah. And uh, Eddie Furlong's back as, um, as John Connor. And then he went on to da-da-da-da. And I was like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> and I kind of freaked out. And I was like, between my friends, like, did that, does that just happen? And then I think it, they kind of exploded the internet, too. And people were like, they were like legit stunned by that news. And the fact that it was just said so just flippantly like it wasn't like a huge piece of news. Obviously, I was obsessed with Edward Furlong when I was a kid. He was the same age as me. I was 14. We were both 14. I was in love with him. But one of the things I saw when I Are saw the Are you more in love with him then or more in love with him now, now that he's so fit and <laughs> lithe and sexy? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not in love with him anymore. No, he's, uh, yeah, he needs to, he's, he, in, he's in got and out some... of court for putting his yes. hands on women in an angry fashion. And yeah, he, his, his life in the 21st century has been a tale of darkness. Has been, has been, yeah, unfortunate. So, uh, one of the things is that when I saw the trailer a few months ago, my first, I loved it. My first reaction is where's John? Like, I had to understand where John is. Why isn't John mentioned? It never occurred to me that he would be played by Edward Furlong, but I never occurred. Like, I'm like, they have to address John. And I hope it's not like T3 where, you know, they say, Oh, Sarah died of cancer. Like it's just some passing line. I'm like, John saves, you know, um, is a savior of humanity. So they can't just be like, Oh, John died. So I was, I was wondering what was going to happen there. And I was wondering where there was no casting with John. So, uh, it's exciting. I feel like, uh, jo uh, James Cameron is the one that found Edward Furlong and a boys and girls club with Molly Finn, Molly Finn, the casting director found him. He's the one that cast him. I feel like T3 with Jonathan Mostow, uh, Edward Furlong was the perfect age to play John in that movie. Unfortunately, because of uh, his drug abuse and all these things that were happening with him. They didn't look at him to do that movie. Same thing with Terminator Salvation and that John was in his 30s then, which was perfect. He was perfect age to so play him. Giant they missed opportunities, yeah. Yeah, but they didn't look at him and it made sense because he's he was having a, a lot of issues. Mess, yeah. But I feel like for this movie, it makes sense that if James Cameron, I don't know if this is what happened. I feel like James Cameron maybe visited him and said, hey, this is a huge opportunity. If you can get yourself cleaned up, I feel like that he he, he would be somebody that would sit, sit down and convince him. And maybe that's what happened. I did hear somebody wrote on Twitter something like everybody calm down there. It's actually, you know, Edward Furlong's not really going to be in the movie. There's going to CGI his face on like some old 14 year old kid, like a flashback. I hope that's not what that is. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about, because when I read this synopsis, because there have been a lot of leaks from test screenings and that sort of thing, that it basically it opens up like shortly after Terminator 2 with, with John Connor getting killed. I was like, well, is he like, why bring back like the 40 year old Eddie Furlong? It, unless those leaks have been, I mean, once again, we're talking about the internet, so there's all sorts of wild inaccuracies out there. But do you know roughly what the premise is or the kind of the timeline? Because my understanding is that this is, it's almost like Skynet is no longer a factor and in the future. There's a completely new threat, and they've obviously sent back this dude to kill this little girl who's going to be a threat to them. It's almost like kind of like the same premise, but with a new organization, new leader, et cetera. And it's yeah. almost like Skynet and John Connor are no longer part of the story. Yeah. I, 
didn't really seek out any spoilers, so kind of annoyed that you just said any of that, but I'm hoping <laughs> to pull that out. I, I would have <laughs> thought you would be on top of I all that stuff. I don't know anything specifically, but thanks. Um, what I do want to know is what the panel tells me, but what I do know is that there's a girl named Danny in this film. She's a girl from Mexico City. Her brother is this guy, is played by Diego Luna. Um, there's a new Terminator trying to kill her. Um, so she goes to work one day, just just goes to work, and this Terminator tries to kill her. Um, and so then she finds out that she's important. Um, the footage they showed was pretty amazing. Uh, it, a big a portion of it is from the trailer that they did release, which shows when Sarah comes on and protects them and Mackenzie Davis. It is shown that Mackenzie Davis is a human. She's just she's a, a soldier from the future that's been enhanced. Yeah, and it kind of like it burns. It's a sacrifice she makes. You take on those enhancements, but it kind of burns out your body really quickly. So you've got a limited amount of time to do your mission. Yes, yeah, so she comes back to protect her. I think Sarah, Sarah is there and and uh, blows apart the the Terminator that's trying to kill her. They get introduced, and then in the footage, Sarah explains. She says to her, "You know, my son and I stopped." Um, it would save 3 billion lives on August 29th, 1997. I mean, to stop from, from 3 billion lives dying on that day. And then she's like, you're welcome. And she kind of explains that she's been hunting Terminators her whole life. Uh, and that's the scene in that when she's talking, because they play a lot, they had a lot of the music from, uh, and I don't know, I don't think Brad Fidel is scoring it, but they definitely did his uh, cues of music. Like it's definitely being using some of his cues. It was so emotional for me that I was watching this footage. I literally started to cry and it was, it wasn't like it was, a um, you know, uh, supposed to make you cry. It was action footage ever, but I think Linda Hamilton talking about what she did and, and, um, and who she is was so powerful to me because this movie means so much sense to me that I literally started to cry. There was like tears streaming down my face. And when the lights came back on, I was like, wash, put, you know, pushing these tears away from my face. My friends were like, oh my God, what is happening to Becky? And then they showed the footage again at the end, which was fantastic because I actually missed parts of the, uh, story because I was so overcome with emotion. But, um, yeah, so Gabriel how Luna... Does, how does Arnie play into it? Because obviously the end of Terminator 2, he got melted down to slag, etc. Yeah. Did don't they, you know you read the whole script? No, just kidding. Don't tell no, me. No, it's one of those things where it's like... <laughs> like when, no, people, when people tease that information online, sometimes people like will tease an entire synopsis and it's totally just fabricated because they want to get the yeah. clicks, etc. But okay, I didn't know so, if they gave us any indication at the panel as to how Arnie's back. Yeah, so uh, I mean, so I think sometimes people get confused about the Terminators in the future. So there, in the future, there is a whole room of teams. T-800 101s that look just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, the T-800's endoskeleton type, endoskeleton type 101 is what the features look like. I've said there could be a T-102 that looks just like you. Maybe a room full of Jamie's. T-103 looks like Becky. So there are, <laughs> there are a room full of, in the future, uh, 101s, because 101 is what you look like, that look just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he is a so he he was the his 101 model was sent back in the first film. He dies, gets crushed by the hydraulic press. They uh, John sends back the second one, um, which reprograms to protect him. Um, so he was uh, doing uh, protecting him for good. And then in the uh, subsequent films, there's always been it's a, it's uh, looks like Arnold. I mean it's it's Arnold. It's always been a one on one, but they're always different Terminators. So it is interesting when Except you talk Salvation, people, where they had that ridiculous CGI Arnold. Oh yeah, because that was supposed to be like when they created his model. But what's interesting is. 
you know, I read somewhere where someone said, oh, yeah, this is the one from the beginning. But I think what they mean is it's the model from the beginning because it can't be the right one because in the second one, he dies in the molten lava. So it can't be the same one that saved them. But I think what I, I don't know what happened. I mean, I don't know. But I'm assuming at some point they sent a Terminator back in time because he does have living tissue, so he can't age. So I'm assuming this this they sent another model 101 back and he has aged throughout the years. And so I, I, I sounds, it looks like from the footage that Sarah Connor doesn't know that this Terminator exists. He's in the woods. He's with, he has a, he has a dog and um, Mackenzie Davis knows who he is. And she calls him Carl. And um, it's, there's a funny scene where Sarah Connor is like, I'm never going to fucking call you Carl. See, I said the F word, but I'm quoting. And, <laughs> but it's great. And then she even says to him later, she's like, when this is over, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, I understand. So he's, he's definitely playing. It sounds like maybe they put his learning chip on. He has learned. He is, he is fighting for good. Whoever sent him back is, is set, sent him to protect. So, so we know he's not bad, but I doesn't, Sarah Connor doesn't care. There's a Terminator and she, what she is doing now is hunting Terminators. And I think there's, this guy exists. She doesn't care that he's fighting for good, even though the one that she met in the second one, I'm, you know, protected her son and was like father figure to him buddies yeah she still doesn't care so that's an interesting dynamic um but you see arl schwarzenegger's terminator protecting and then this girl apparently is really important and at one point i think uh the um the terminator says to like mackenzie davis or to sarah like why are why don't you just give me her why don't you just give me the girl and they and then it's because uh because she's important and she said because i was her so it's important for her to protect her because she says like i was this girl i i knew she was so i don't know if maybe they're alluding to this girl maybe is going to have a kid that's going to protect or maybe she's going to be the future savior they haven't explained that but that's what they've that's what the footage was. The footage was, like I said, really fantastic. I'm trying to see in my notes here if there's anything. One of the things they did talk about, too, was they said that Sarah Connor in this film is living with and dealing with the consequences of um, the end of Judgment Day and her decision to destroy Cyberdyne. So I think that's that she grapples with that. And I don't know what that happens. And I, again, I don't know if John does, like it sounds like th maybe John does die and maybe the footage they use is an old John. I'm hoping that's not the case, obviously. Uh, but I just hope that Eddie Furlong takes his shirt off and shows us how ripped he is these days. <laughs> and, and they did announce too, like you said, that it's rated R. Um, that Tim was Miller my said, biggest cause for encouragement because we've seen a lot of defanged, declawed PG-13 reboots of franchises like Robocop and Total Recall. And I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. So I like how Tim Miller's leaning into the hard R. The one thing that annoyed me and this, I think his comments have been taken out of context, but a couple of days before the panel, he was doing an interview and he was responding to some of the negative feedback to one of the early stills that was posted where people started making fun of Mackenzie Davis saying she looks like Justin Bieber. And then he said, oh, well, if, if guys are threatened by a woman can kick ass, like, like this movie's going to make you have a heart attack or something to that effect. And I feel like he's picking a fight with a fan base that doesn't necessarily need to be uh, antagonized because if people like Terminator 1 and like Terminator 2, clearly they're not threatened by strong female characters because Sarah Connor in the first is emotionally very strong. And then in Terminator 2, physically, obviously, is incredibly strong. So to assume that people who are disliking this still are automatically misogynists, I think was a bad move on his part because sometimes people can just have legitimate criticisms if they don't like the way something might be getting portrayed. But once again, the media took his comments and tried to act as if people were saying that about 
the trailer when really what he was responding to was the initial early feedback of that first still of the three girls side by side where and I must I'll, I'll defend the the haters out there Mackenzie Davis did look a little bit like Justin Bieber in that picture so I can understand why some people were making fun of it so I think Tim Miller shouldn't necessarily pick be picking fights with the aging dinosaurs who are the natural target audience who love Terminator 1 and 2 and obviously are not threatened by Sarah Connor being cool and tough and all that stuff yeah, I mean, I think it's probably an emotional response. Mackenzie Davis is probably an actress that he cast and was very, she's important to him. And it, someone criticized what she looked like and re- criticized the character that he's helped create. I think it's an emotional response where you're like, F you, whatever, screw you. I don't know if he honestly believed it's because women, do, people don't like women, tough women characters. Obviously, Sarah Connor's one of them. So I think it's, it, I understand when you make a comment like that, if if you're if someone's talking about your friend or somebody that you cast or the look of somebody, your your emotional response might not be it's emotional response. So I think I don't I I, I kind of I, I kind of see from that angle. I also see from the other the, the other thing is that it is it bugs when obviously I, I'm a fan of a lot of things too. And I, I think that the culture today of the internet is that people expect Uh, movies and TV shows and especially TV shows to become fully formed and perfect and amazing from the beginning. And um, not that we can't criticize them, but like, let's actually like whatever happened to like watching the movie and then being able to like now the internet, we are able to like immediately have be judge, jury and executioner on like what you see and whatever before you actually get to see it. Especially on partisan lines, like on YouTube, you've got your pro-woke community and you've got your anti-woke community and they prejudge movies along those kind of ideological lines. But the moment you start talking about misogyny and everything people start yeah. drawing their battle lines and the people that are the pro community start saying right. oh well, he's on our side this is like you know all in on like you know like blah 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 and then the other are like oh well if that's if that's the case then I'm all in opposing it and I yeah. felt like he was drawing battle lines months before the movie was released that didn't need to be drawn yeah I agree I think that I, I'm sure he didn't I mean maybe he I don't know if he intended to do that I think it's an emotional just as a human being like, like I said it's emotionally like that's your how you're what you're going to say like well if you don't like blah 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 it's like you say something horrible about like whatever because this is somebody you care about and the actress and it's with a look and all that because what but I don't sold me really- on her is in the trailer that shot where she blocks the bar with her arm she looks insanely cool like it's, like, it's a great angle and you see the like the metal rod going by and kind of like fl- like flailing the skin off her arm and you see like the the metal fibers underneath her skin I was like why didn't y'all post that ahead of time instead of that rather boring flat medium shot of three girls walking toward cameras well i I agree that shot's terrible but the the hero image they should have posted was her looking cool as shit blocking that metal rod yeah i mean i think that's probably just i mean um, you know you never know like i think in marketing they sometimes publicity is like oh this is a cool image and not really maybe they didn't test it spider-man homecoming poster (laughs) (laughs) maybe sometimes you need more testing but yeah i mean you never know sometimes how people are going to perceive stuff i i don't know again i'm not i don't know from where he came from but i'm sure that was an emotional response i don't think he really believes that terminator fans don't are misogynist because obviously sarah connor is a huge uh part of it and people know she's tough and badass so i'm sure that's not it i think it's just an emotional response um but uh yeah the it was pretty it was it was pretty emotional for me um i 
the footage was, like I said, extraordinary. And one of the things that I love is too is, again, those criticisms that people have sometimes about Comic-Con of like, why go to Comic-Con? Everything they show is released 10 minutes later. We could just observe, blah, blah, blah. There are panels where they show footage that they'll never release yep. or that you'll get to see. And this is one of those facts that they showed about five minutes of footage. I don't know how long it was. It felt like five minutes. Um, maybe it was shorter, but that they didn't release. A lot of people thought that this was they were going to release a new trailer. They didn't. So it is special because you got to experience that with all these people. And maybe there was this behind the scenes that got released. But that makes it special, too, of like, well, you know, the argument of you are getting to see stuff that sometimes never gets revealed. And it makes it feel, you know, important. And all for me, I felt like Thursday and there was a few other things I did on Thursday that this, that might have been my favorite day at Comic-Con ever. It's my 15th year in a row going to Comic-Con. Um, and I just, I don't think I've ever had an emotional response before to a, a footage. And obviously it was, um, it's very important to me, but it was, it was so wonderful to experience that. And, um, it was nice to have, uh, to be able to put that on Twitter and get a, and get a warm response back from people. Well, I'm, I'm rooting for it all the way. Tim Miller, I, I loved and adored the first Deadpool, saw it many times in the theater. And I really love his cinematic trailer he did for the DC Universe online game back in like 2010 or 2011. I think Tim Miller's got some serious chops and I love his hard R rating dedication. So I'm rooting for the movie. Do you know the release date? Yeah, I think it's November 6, 2020. Very I'm at 2020, uh, 2019. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it's November 6th. I have to check it out because if that was, we had we had a movie, a Sony movie that was coming out the same date. And I was like, um, are we going to move this movie? Because we're not going to get trash next to Terminator. Well, and it depends. It could laughed. be good counter-programming. A hard R sci-fi action flick, you can release like a Barbie movie opposite that and probably do just fine. Yeah, there is counter-programming. But I'm like, we, I mean, just because I'm so, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, it was very important to me. And then I was in a meeting later where they're like, um, we're going to move this gonna movie. Blink. because." We're gonna move because this is this movie's getting a lot. Like we we, we didn't realize how big this was, and I, I'm always like, people are always sleeping on Terminator fans. I'm like, dude, I don't know. But obviously, I'm very much. Uh, I am more biased than most. Oh, it's November 1st. Beautiful. I'm sorry. All right. So day after Halloween. Well, that that is where I will be. But shall we move on to Friday, just in the interest of time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, one last thing I thought was cool was Arnold mentioned, he said, I'm addicted to Terminator. This is the movie that's launched my career. I, I, I didn't need to come back. I mean, I didn't want to come back. I needed to come back. And he said that that's Hercules why Hercules very... in New York launched his career. And he actually said a lot of, he's all, get to the chopper. And he said a bunch of stuff, which is funny. And Tim Miller made fun of him because because uh, uh, Arnold was making fun of Tim saying the F word a lot. And then he said, and then I think uh, Arnold said James Cameron, like mentioned James Cameron. And Tim's like, oh, do you know that Arnold gets $100 every time he says James Cameron? That James Cameron gave him $100 every time he says his name. And Arnold gave him like the, dirtiest look ever <laughs> it was so awesome nice so i thought it's funny one so like the there's definitely internet like videos of all time is a highlight reel of arnold cussing in all of his movies like and it's you forget just how i, I don't know if anybody's ever used the english language for profanity better than arnold schwarzenegger so look, look it up on youtube you will <laughs> shit it's like 130 clips in a row where he's just fuck you fuck you fuck you fuck you asshole fuck you asshole Fuck you, asshole. Guy's a fucking asshole. Assholes. Dickhead. Come back. Slats. Bastards! One ugly motherfucker. 
What the hell are you? Who the fuck are you? Jesus, Marge! What the fuck? You blew my cover! He molested, murdered, and mutilated her. Cool. cool. Introducing Avada, Avada, Avada. This is Avada. It's as satisfying to me as uh, coming is. They're having sex with a woman and coming. Not just for babies. <laughs> when you grow up, you have to drink beer. Freezing hell, Batman! Let's move into Friday, yeah. where... Oh. oh, you got one one last Thursday? Uh, no, I just wanted to say, in general, that the th- cool thing that has to do with footage is that Thursday, I also uh, went to the... They had a Star Trek... Uh, they had a Picard exhibit, uh, which was off-site, which was amazing. They had, the last two years, they had Discovery. It was really cool. They had props um, from the film and costumes. It was exciting. Um, and they also had a whole like store full of Picard shirts, and I got a shirt for um, Adam and Martin and Bill and John, so that was fun. And then after that, I went to the floor and I did the transport. They this is the from, I've said I've been at uh, Comic Con for 15 years. In those years, they've never had a Star Trek booth on the exhibit floor, and I think that it speaks to how big Star Trek is becoming and how CBS All Access really believes in the Star Trek universe, this new universe. And they had a transporter experience, which yeah, was really cool. So you got to, I waited in line and you got to get, you went into the transporter and you're beamed onto another planet and I have a video of it. And it was really cool. And again, it's just fun. It, it was just fun it. to. <laughs> <laughs> I really was geeking out on Thursday. Thursday was a good day for me all around. And then I went to the Her Universe, a fashion show and the, and the theme was She-Ra and I'm a huge, massive She-Ra fan since I was nine years old. So it was like Thursday was just a big love fest of like stuff that Becky loves. And I know a lot of people don't care, but I just wanted to say that I had a great day on Thursday. Beautiful. Excellent. I I like the waves of positivity. Well, (laughs) let's talk about Friday. There was a big Russo Brothers panel where they announced that their next movie is an R-rated movie about the opioid crisis. Obviously, Russo Brothers are taking a big break from all the big, giant, crazy extravaganza they've been doing for Marvel basically for like the last five or six years. It's totally taken over their life. But uh, it sounds like they were just basically kind of spiking the football after a job well done because as we learned over on Saturday that at least in terms of just raw box office, Endgame is now the highest gross movie of all time. Obviously, if you adjust for inflation, it's still gone with the wind. Like if you look at the top 10 adjusted for inflation movies, they're all from a long time ago. It's all like Star Wars and E.T. and Gone with the Wind. And you're just like, oh, do we even make hit movies anymore? <laughs> but in terms of actual dollar amounts, Endgame got to spike the football. But for me- but also if you adjust for inflation – Still, uh, Avatar well still beat it. I know, I know that Gone with the Wind beat everything, but it was nice that Kevin Feige mentioned that he when he said, "Hey, I just talked to Disney Distribution, and this is before they actually announced it. They just confirmed that we are going to beat it. I think it was like imminent." And he said, "He's it was really sweet. He's like, uh, you know, obviously we're big fans of Avatar. We have no doubt that his next film will beat it. I'm not saying it will, but that was yeah. really nice. Total he said that. tickets sold. Avatar sold more tickets than yeah. Endgame. Yeah, and, and then he said, fact. "Yeah, just for inflation, Avatar still whatever. But I just annoying when you say something like that." And they're like, well, just so you know, just for inflation, gone with the wind. I said, yeah, mother effer, I know that. I'm saying this is what Kevin Feige said. Anyway, just wanted to say that. Go Absolutely. ahead. And I think it's a friendly rivalry, a friendly, not going to speak, friendly rivalry, friendly contest, because even the Russo brothers posted a tweet with all their favorite images from James Cameron movies saying, like, we've been looking up to you for decades, blah, blah, blah. So I think there's, there's nothing but respect. And I feel like a friendly rivalry, it, it only makes filmmakers uh, try a little harder. But I agree. And also, it's nice. They're both owned by Disney now. Yeah, absolutely. But for me, the big thing on Friday was the first look at The Witcher, which is Netflix's big fantasy show. Initially, it was going to be a movie. And the producer, I can't remember her name, but she said, look, 
there's like seven novels based on this character. Uh, why limit ourselves to a feature? This is a show, and we can make it as long as we uh, we can keep it going as long as we like. Because there there's like the gaming community that loves The Witcher, and there's the reader community that loves The Witcher, and there's some small overlap between the two. And I just love the fact that Netflix is like, all right, fine, let's do it. And they're showing this, it's a huge show of confidence, doing this giant, sprawling fantasy epic starring Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill worked with a bodybuilder leading up to it, and he said he actually got the most fit and most muscular that he's ever been. So there's a shot in the trailer, he oh. takes his shirt off, and you're like, God damn, like you look like an 80s fantasy like movie. Because back in the 80s, Tony Stella can talk about this, but they did obviously these gorgeous posters back in the day where they spent all their money for the movie on the poster and leave maybe like $10 to shoot them. You had a lot of low-budget, trashy movies with just beautiful posters. And Henry Cavill looks like he stepped right out of one of those posters <laughs> onto the set. I've is been, he going to be shirtless in the, you think in this, is he still, in, is he going to be shirtless it, it, in, well, in, in that one shot in the trailer, we see him shirtless. But I've, oh, been, okay. I've been playing Witcher 3, the game, and I've been reading the first collection of short stories, The Last Wish, and I'm rapidly falling in love with this uh, fictionalized setting. So uh, I'm rooting for that to be fucking cool. But um, we had the announcement that The Boys is getting season two over at Amazon. I didn't particularly like the... Um, the pilot for the boys that I saw in the theater a while back, but that whole season comes out this Friday. It's basically about guys who take drugs and kill superheroes. Comic was very funny, very irreverent. The show might be a little lame, but we shall see. And then we had the the creep show and dark crystal panels. But did you do anything on Friday that blew your hair back and got you excited? No, what I did on Friday was wait 15 hours in line to get in to Holly Chun Saturday. Oh, so you were so just sitting in the sun hanging out and talking with yeah, folks. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I sat in, I got in line at uh, 8 a.m. And I got out, I got my wristband to get into Hall H at 11 p.m. So that's, that's what I did all day. That bad, I guess, because like, I mean, it could be worse. And then yeah, how, how many, yeah. how many hours sleep did you allow yourself before you got back in line? Four and a half. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. And did you have, did you, you have I, friends who slipped on the sidewalk to save your spot? No, no. I had a friend that came back at like 5 a.m. But uh, no, I mean, I don't really care as long as you, because the thing is with the wristband, as soon as you get a wristband, you just have to get in line before 7.30. And, but if you care about like where you are in line, like I don't because I like sitting in the back because I have a good view of one of the, uh, the screens. So it doesn't really matter to me as long as I get in. There was a big hullabaloo uh, because uh, there was, when I got in line, there was maybe 800 people in front of me. And uh, so we should have been like A or B in the wristband and we should have got our wristbands a lot faster. We got D, which is the last, that means that like thousands of people jumped in front of us at some point during the day. And I think it all happened right before they passed out wristbands. So a lot of people that were waiting in line all day didn't even get wristbands. Um, Wait, so how did that happen? How did people manage to jump in line where it's one of the things where they just like are saving a place for their friends and their friends just kind of sneak in at the last second and just yeah, yeah. Cause wow, I'm surprised it wasn't a fucking riot. Yeah, well, people were freaking out, but I think maybe people didn't think it was a big deal because I don't think they realized how many people had done it. Because technically, when you when you when you get in line, it says that each person can save a spot for five people. So if you have a group of five people, technically you could be at 25 people, which is kind of ridiculous. I think that's too many. I think it should be each person could save like one person maybe. But I think what happened was that um, you know really people are okay with it if there's a big group and they switch off and everyone knows you're there. Like you, you put in your dues when, you know, we did it together. I think the problem is that there's people who 
all one person's in line all day and then like 10 people join at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, Yeah, that's a problem. And I think what happened was a bunch of bunch of people who were in front of us because I was pretty far up there probably said, hey, dude, like, uh, you know, if you're out of Hall H now on Friday or whatever, they said, hey, I'm in the front, join me. And then I think a lot of people just said, hey, join us. And I think that the line expanded. I also heard that it was there were some people who like flat out when they were giving the wristbands, like just jumped in and people weren't paying attention. So there was cutters too. Again, uh, you know, you I don't care if I'm seen from super like, hey, man, no butts. Did you ever <laughs> see the, the James Gunn film Super? They're no. waiting in line for a movie and a guy steps in line and Rain Wilson goes back to his car and gets a monkey wrench. It comes back and just beats the guy's head in. But anyway, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's so funny because I think for most of the day, I felt really good about where I was. And then I've, and then, of course, the, la- the last about 10 minutes before I got my wristband, I had this like just completely freak out, like internal freak out of like, can, am I really might not get a wristband when I've been at lunch since 9 a.m. and there really wasn't that many people in front of me? I think that w- I had a little freak out. It was fine. I got my wristband, but I really feel sad for a lot of people that did wait in line for the majority of the day and I got wouldn't screwed. I was sad. Here. I feel like pissed. I mean, that's just um, it's betraying the spirit of Comic Con to allow yeah. those kind of shenanigans. But I, I, I briefly mentioned Dark Crystal. I should say that for people who are interested in practical effects and puppetry as opposed to CGI. And I feel like there's a, a people out there who really still appreciate things being caught in camera. There is a really cool featurette that is available online that you can watch all about the making of Dark Crystal and how it's basically they're trying to pay homage to the original Dark Crystal from 1982 and resurrect an art form that's been largely kind of discarded. So I thought that was pretty cool. But Saturday is always the big day at Comic-Con and there wasn't a lot of competition this year because Warner Brothers stayed home, Universal stayed home, Sony stayed home, and it's Disney and Netflix and Amazon and a few of the players got to hog a lot of attention. But obviously the big deal on Saturday Actually, before we even get to all the Star Trek stuff, once again, I I mentioned earlier that there was a Watchmen trailer. That's when the the Watchmen trailer did drop. But as you mentioned before, because HBO didn't bother to have a panel, it doesn't count. So we're not even going to pay attention to Damon Lindelof (laughs) on this podcast because having seen the latest trailer for Watchmen, I'm not entirely convinced that Damon Lindelof is going to get it right because – if you read the original Watchmen maxi series, there's a lot of political stuff in the comic. You know, some people don't like when comics get political, but obviously Watchmen's insanely political. I mean, Richard Nixon is still in office after four terms. Clearly, it's political, and clearly Alan Moore leans left. But what I like about Alan Moore is that he actually is capable of writing compelling characters that he disagrees with politically. The comedian and Rorschach are not people that in real life Alan Moore would be able to agree with. However, they're some of his most compelling characters. And I think that takes real strength on a writer's part to be able to have someone like Adrian Veidt and someone like the comedian and have them both be equally interesting. That's actual actual drama. I worry that the new Watchmen's gonna be nothing but thinly veiled, orange man bad political propaganda. And I feel like it's gonna make it feel very topical, but perhaps give it a short-lived shelf life, whereas The Watchmen, the original series, here we are 34 years later, we're still talking about it. That's a very long shelf life. So I'm going to watch it, but I don't have high hopes. 
But something that I know someone might have high hopes about is all the fucking Star Trek information that came out at the 2.30 panel because we had Lower Decks, we had the Picard trailer, we had Short Treks, we had Season 3 of Discovery. So without, because obviously, you know, life is short. We don't want to spend three hours just on Star Trek, but give us... Your Which they imp- did. They spent like an hour and a half. I think. Yeah, yeah, give us your impression of the health of the Star Trek. I, I want to interrupt. Give us your health of the Star Trek universe as it stands, the future plans of CBS and Paramount possibly coming back together. Just give us your overall impression of the current strategy moving forward on all things Trek-related. Have you ever been a stranger to yourself? Many, many times. Nearly two decades ago, Commander Data sacrificed his life for me. These past few years, I really tried to belong here. But it never truly felt like home. Do you know who I am? Everything inside of me says that I'm safe with you. Admiral, I have encountered a woman. She came to me for help. If she is who I think she is, she's in serious danger. Sometimes I worry that you have forgotten who you are. We do not. You can't do it alone. You need help. You need protection. You need a crew. Be the captain they remember. She has no idea what she truly is. She's the end of all. She's the destroyer. What the hell are you doing out here, Picard? Saving the galaxy. Engage. I don't want the game to end. I can see that, Captain. So they actually have like a title treatment right now called the Star Trek universe. And that's what this is positioned as. Uh, There are one of the things that Eddie Ibrahim, who's a senior programming director of Comic-Con came out at the beginning of the panel and said, what a great time it is to be a Star Trek fan um, because that we have discovery on air and there are two more shows um, that are about to launch uh, next year, the lower decks and Picard. Um, they are continuing to look at new shows. One of the things that Kurtzman actually teased was uh, when, uh, you know, people love Pike, Pike and, uh, and Spock in Discovery from last season. He said, uh, would, he, would you guys be interested in watching a new show of that of, of, with them? And I, I know a lot of people are. My dad is super, wants to watch that show now. And so Even people who don't like Discovery want to see that show. Yeah. Yeah, and so people like went crazy, and he's like, "Okay, good to know." But obviously, they're looking at doing that. They didn't announce anything, but that is something that they know people love, and they are trying to do. Um, so, 
I think that, I mean, that's the state of the fact that they have two new shows. I think that they're continually to look at new content. The Trek shorts, uh, which we talk about in a minute, um, are created to have that, uh, to, create, to create new content to set up um, to set up in between the next season of Discovery. And also there is a Trek short that's going to be 15 years before Picard to set the beginning of that new show up. Um, I think they're continually looking at new um, and better ideas, looking to strengthen Discovery, looking to make everything the best it could be. I think one thing Did that- Did you just imply that perhaps Discovery is not strong already? How dare you? Are you afraid <laughs> of strong women? <laughs> So I love Discovery. You know this. Um, I actually, my like blood pressure went up when you did the Picard like uh, trailer reaction because at the end I felt like you were, and I don't know if this is true and I don't think this is what you were doing, but again, I get visceral reaction to certain things and I love you, Jamie, but I thought it was implied that if you like Discovery, that is blind fandom. And if you don't, you're a smart, intelligent Star Trek fan who likes to challenge things. <laughs> and that made me very angry. I was complimenting the Star Trek community for having very rigorous high standards. It felt like it was if that that only people who love Trek, that really love Trek, don't like Discovery. Well, which this is was, one of the, I know it's not what you said, but that's how but I This felt. is one thing I think Star Trek fans need to stop doing. I feel like there's some people who act as gatekeepers about what it means to be a Star Trek fan. Yeah, and it's, I agree with that. Like, if you're five and you've seen one episode of Star Trek and you loved it, you are a Star Trek fan. Or if you're 70 and you've been taking notes and keeping track of Star Trek from the very beginning, you're also a Star Trek fan. Some Star Trek fans are more informed than others, but it's a weird thing where Star Trek fans should just be welcoming to Star Trek fans irrespective of their level of expertise. But there are some Star Trek fans who I feel like go on to be guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson who are just, they're hardcore original fans and they become scientists, etc. I feel like that's what the Star Trek, when I think of the Star Trek fan community, that's kind of mm -hmm. what I think of. And it's just one of those things where I feel like a lot of people just made up their minds to like Discovery for perhaps a political reason as opposed to a creative or storytelling reason. And that annoyed me. But I will admit that with Picard, my, my, you know, it got, it got my, ner my nerd boner tingling and uh, I'm excited to see Seven of Nine. I'm excited to see that uh, ripped apart Borg cube. I'm excited to see Data back in action or before. I, 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 that's one of the things, that one of the big comments I got was like, that's not Data. Data sacrificed himself in Nemesis. I'm like, do you really think it's going to be a show featuring B4 as opposed to Data? Like right. clearly his memories are going to assert themselves. But someone called into question my Star Trek fan. I'm like, this person's not a Star Trek fan. Data's gone. It's like, I get it. But clearly, it's going to be data in the show. You know this. Yeah. So just, yeah, Star Trek is a weird thing. What I love most about Star Trek, though, is that it's great for traffic. My reaction video to Picard was my most watched Star Trek video I've ever done. It's knocking at the door of 20,000 views. Nice. And 25% hated my reaction, and 75% liked my reaction. So it's... <laughs> Hey everybody, quick interruption. In the interim, since we recorded this episode earlier today, CBS and their infinite wisdom decided to block the video that I'm discussing. They did so on the grounds of copyright infringement because it was a trailer reaction video. Ordinarily, trailer reaction videos fall under fair use, but occasionally you can get into a gray area where they can either redirect your ad revenue or block the video entirely. I have disputed and appealed their claim, so hopefully cooler minds will prevail and my video will go back up. Because for my own selfish purposes, the video did real well and it was 18 views away from crossing the threshold into 20,000 views so I'm a little annoyed that they took it down. In any event, in case any of you were curious about this video because of this discussion, right now sadly it cannot be seen. But with all that out of the way, we now return to our regularly scheduled broadcast.
As, as, as uh, I, was, I, I definitely watch it. I didn't hate your reaction. I thought your reaction was totally fair and wh- whatever you think. I think at the end of it, I, that's how I felt like I perceived what you said. And I don't think that's what you were saying, hopefully. Yeah. And just in defense of Discovery. So and just in defense of the show in general, it's like, I, I, I don't think anyone thinks Discovery is perfect and it's an amazing show. Maybe there are some people that do. I think it's, I really love it. I love the Mirror Universe storyline in the first season. So I. I thought the cut, uh, Pike and Spock were fantastic in season two. Um, I hated episode three, Point of Light. I mean, hated it. The, I thought the Klingons were... I, I also hated that uh, that weird parasite that was like all about Tilly. I hated that storyline. Um, and I didn't like it. And I'm, I'm fair about that. I thought it was the first beginning. The first uh, few episodes were uneven. I thought the Talos four episode, which is episode eight was absolutely brilliant. But essentially I thought episode four made me cry with, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Um, uh, Saru taking off that ganglia. Like I, I w- I'm all in on episodes. Like this, 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 this show was uneven, but in the end, it gave me everything I wanted. I really like these characters, and what I'm looking for is characters that I believe in and I care about. And I love Georgiou being snarky. Like I thought there were no bad ideas. Like there's a lot of stuff that I really love about the show. Um, so, uh, uh, but I'm I'm all in. But another thing is, I think what some people people forget is like Next Gen wasn't all in and perfect from the beginning. The first few seasons were a little, were uneven, just like Deep Space Nine. I haven't seen Deep Space Nine, but people continually tell me, hey, Do I get first to question s- your Star Trek fandom yeah. because you haven't watched any Deep Space Nine? I don't care if people touch my Star that, Trek that, fandom. That's I how mean, the Star Trek community can be. And I feel like that's yeah. the, the lame side of the Star Trek community where people will, like, if you saw the 2009 Star Trek and that was your first exposure and you enjoyed it, well, then you're a Star Trek fan. You might not be yeah, the most diehard Star Trek fan, but you are a Star Trek fan, and people all have... Yeah, there's there's too many gatekeepers, and that's harmful to the overall health of the franchise. Yeah, I retweeted somebody the other day that talked about, like, uh, you define your fandom. Like, don't let anyone t- t- tell you you're not a Trek fan. Like, if I look at the overall, like, a, a total Trekspert, I think I'm maybe at four when other people are at ten. I'm all in on Next Gen. I'm all in on the original series. I know more about the original series than any of the the different shows. But yeah, I haven't seen Voyager. I haven't seen Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. Those happened when I was after college. I just didn't get to... I just never really got to them. I do intend to do so at some point. When I, I was on maternity leave, I ended up rewatching the original series all over again. I love Discovery. Um, I've seen all the films. I've podcast and written about all the all all you know 13 of the movies so um but i i I never get on anyone for being like you haven't seen this or you whatever i I think you can enjoy whatever you want to enjoy and i'm fine with that but i think my issue is that like even when i talked to someone today about these face animal any chance you could skip the first few seasons i heard they're not great and they're like well you kind of can't well there's a great guide that i found which just maps out all the essential juicy episodes of the first few seasons and that's what i that's what i did i was like all right well then i'll just watch like a third to half of them skip the filler, but there are some of that essential character building and plot driven moments. And then it is insanely cool chipping yeah. away at the early seasons. Well, so I will, I will send I you that guy. I think it's interesting as people who regard that as the best Star Trek series of all time, but then they're like openly like, yeah, hey, the first two seasons aren't great. And then there's the same people who are like, Discovery's a piece of crap. And like, they, you know, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, hey, settle down. Like, there are good shows and they're, ep- they're good episodes. How do you know that the season three? 
three and on is not going to be the best Star Trek series ever. I'm not saying it's going to be, but I'm saying like, let's like give it a chance, people. Let's not spew hatred well, and ignorance. Four more and be years on Alex Kurtzman's deal. So a lot of people just, and myself included, have a bone to pick with Kurtzman because they don't like yeah. the way he talks in public. They don't like the way he talks about movies. Like there's some film filmmakers when they talk about shows and movies like Tarantino, like oh, wow, I want to see each and every single movie that he just talked about. And with Alex Kurtzman, when he talks about the things he's working on, I'm like, I wish these shows and movies would never get made. And he just, he has that effect on some people, not all, but some people where they just dislike him so much. But what I think is cool about Picard is this story that I read that essentially he's been kind of not shut out of the show, but there's a bit of a buffer between him and the creative side of the show where Michael Chabin, the author, is kind of the main driving creative force on the show. And Michael Chapin's a fucking brilliant novelist and a really good writer. So I'm allowing myself to get pretty goddamn pumped for Picard because it's got a great cast, it's got a great writer, and the trailer looks pretty goddamn fun. So uh, I, yeah. nothing would make me happier than to have a Star Trek show to review that I like. I mean, I'm going to review Star Trek no matter what, but it's much more fun to do these YouTube reviews if I'm enjoying something. Like I love the comment on Twitter where that person, at E.E. Chentek, said, can't you just enjoy it for once? <laughs> it made me absolutely. And I saw you I liked it. I started cracking up. But it's not. It's one of the things where they. I think they assume that I prefer to dislike things. Making YouTube re reviews is way faster, way more enjoyable, way easier when you're in love with what you're talking about. So I, I would love nothing more than for Star Trek to be the best shit ever because it would just make my job of reviewing it more fun. Yeah, I just think I think sometimes that, like I said, that now people because of YouTubers and bloggers that were people are shaped by the opinions of other people when something just comes out I'll, instead of allowing you to make an opinion and watch it. And I think that that sometimes people get reacted from that. But um, and like I said, how people sometimes come judge jury and executioner, I think people get like effing. Give it a chance. Be optimistic. But I think what you're spending, one of my favorite journalists, George Will, once said, and I think this is totally qualifies for you, that the beauty of pessimism is that more often than not, you're right. And when you're not, you're delighted. Absolutely. So that's, that's, that's what's great about being a pessimist. Pessimist. I am um, the other, I'm a super optimist. So I think I'm constantly sad. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but to defend Kurtzman just for a second, and I know that's not what you want to hear because you really no, like Kurtzman. Far but, away. You know, I, I enjoyed the first Star Trek. I just, I don't like the Transformers yeah. movies. I don't like Amazing Spider-Man 2 and I don't like The Mummy and I don't like his work on Discovery. So it's like his track record for me is 80% yeah. off, 20% on. Okay. So just want to like acknowledge that he did, you know, co-write Star Trek, um, the 2009 film and Into Darkness. A lot of people don't like that movie. I do. He also co-created Fringe, which is I think one of the best sci-fi TV shows of the last decade. So I think people will give him credit for that. He also is a big part in convincing uh, Picard to come on to this, to do this show, to, pa to Patrick Stewart to do this show. So I think, I think sometimes, and I think it's just because I've been there before where it's like, uh, when something's done well, it's not because of him, but when and it's done poorly it's because of him and you're just like um you need to give it you need to be able to see all of it um i wish people did that and also i really like the way kurtzman talks about trek in this panel i even wrote in my notes that i wrote he's so poetic and moving when he talks about trek like i feel like he really believes and like picard's his favorite captain and he's talked about that in great length and so i really like hearing when he talks about trek i feel like it's very authentic and genuine i get if you look at his work but i i just like let's not i i just don't I like when people would assume that he's like this monster and if you're he's looking at a monster, his but he uses like this really annoying industry speak when like when someone talks about writing an upcoming season he's like oh well we're breaking we're breaking story now in season three and i'm like just say we're writing season three like you sound like a fucking robot who thinks you're too cool for school because you're successful in showbiz just say we're writing season three Be like oh we're breaking story now and it's it keeps listeners 
at a distance, I feel like sometimes, where he over relies upon his kind of his success. He's been wildly successful, so obviously he's getting away with whatever he's doing, like more, more power to him. But man, I've never seen a, a writer for TV or films talk about shows and movies in a way where it makes me so immediately antagonistic toward him and his work. I think if he just stopped being on the microphone so much, perhaps people would give him kind of the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and it's possible he's not trying to prove pretentious. Like, this is, he's been writing movies and his whole life. It's a, that's part of your life, and that's what you, you say in a writer's room on a breaking whatever. Maybe you don't think that that's how it comes off to people. It's like when Mitt Romney talks like a robot, like, I like meat and I like hot dog. It's like, you, what? Like, you, you don't even sound like a person. Like, when people lose the ability to speak like a normal person, it's off-putting. Yeah, well, so... Uh, uh, Kurtzman did wit work with Akiva Goldsman, and they invited the novelist, like you know, that, that you love, Michael Chabon, to work on this film. But they worked together, all three of them, on this 34-page treatment of like how the show is. And Patrick Stewart's a big part of um, working on the story arc too. So, uh, but I feel like if this does really well, people will say it's because of Michael Chabon. And like, even if oh, maybe yeah. Kurtzman's part of it, yeah, I'm, like, I'm already oh, writing that review before I even see it. Said, yeah, well. <laughs> I've heard he's a buffer. Well, like let's give let's be give person credit and failure at the same time. I'm just saying because I've been there before. That is totally fair. Really be be, be fair ago, in our hate in, and in our love. Yes, because I was in a meeting a few years ago when like I um, there was a coworker of mine was heralded for the deals we brought in and then turned to me and said, "But this movie's a real shit show, Becky. How come we don't have more deals?" And I'm like, "I'm sorry, I'm the one that brings in, I'm the one that helps bring in the deals, but like if it's uh, doing well, it's not it's not because of me. But if it's doing poorly, it is because of me. So it's just something that I like. I've been there and I understand it. So I just want people let's share it all. So um, from a story standpoint, what's got you most fired up about Picard? Wow. So a lot. The first of all, the, it's great that they showed the trailer. So you, you want to. So uh, the trailer. Let me see. I got my notes here so that I can talk. Uh, let's see. That it. This is twenty years after Nemesis. That we know that after the film Nemesis. Um, and uh, I think. Let me see. Watch. It's so cool. Um, I like how this feels very like one of the things they talked about in the panel, which kind of freaked me out at first was they're saying that they, they don't want this to be like attenuation of next gen. They don't want it to be like discovery. They want it to be its own show. It's going to be very poetic. And this is before they showed the trailer. And I'm like, Oh my God, is this whole season going to be like Picard walking his vineyard and reminiscing about the old times and doing concerts and stuff with, with this flute. And I'm like, I don't know if I want this to be the show, but that's not it at all. They just want it to be, uh, very different, um, but it seemed very cinematic. Uh, did you think so? The footage? Yeah, it looked good, and Patrick Stewart clearly is still on top of his game. I liked how it had a completely different aesthetic from. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't like the Discovery look, production design. It's got its overall look, and I like how Picard is a completely different direction creatively. What I love is that it's going back to the interconnectivity between the different movies and shows. The fact that Seven of Nine and Data and Picard, like that's what we need more of. Whereas it felt like Discovery was always rewriting Star Trek history. Picard feels like a continuation of Star Trek history. And I think if Discovery had started season one, just a thousand years in the future at the end of season two and just carved their own destiny, I think a large chunk of the negative feedback would have been addressed then and there. 
people take their Star Trek history very seriously, some more than others. Mm-hmm. But I like, but what I've been saying all along is that Star Trek needs to push the story forward, and that's precisely what Picard does. It's new territory, so no one can say, well, that's not canon, because they're building and creating new canon. And I think that was very, obviously, because Patrick Stewart's old as hell at this point, he's like 85. <laughs> they had no choice. He's 79. Okay, but the, I just think. <laughs> he looks 85. But I was ready for more. And also, I feel like even with like the Kelvin Timeline movies, I was like, I'm, I'm tired of nostalgia. I'm tired of rewriting the past. Give me some new shit. And I think yeah. Picard is going to scratch an itch that probably hasn't been scratched for a lot of hardcore fans since the end of Enterprise back in, what, 2004, 2005 when that show ended? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's break down the trailer. Uh, so he's living on Chateau Picard, which I bought a Chateau Picard shirt at the Picard exhibit. It's really cool, uh, which is his family's vineyard. And... Um, uh, in generations, it was revealed that his uh, nephew, um, Rene, and his brother died in a fire. So he's that vineyard already is that that's his uh, family's vineyard. So that's where he lives. Um, he has a dog in this uh, show. Uh, the dog is named Number One. And so that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. What I think is fun because uh, they said they've shot all the episodes but three, and uh, Riker. Um, and uh, Troy will be, and I don't think that they've shot their episodes, so I think they're going to be at the end of the season, but I think it'd be funny if they show how Riker responds to the fact that his dog is named number one. I mean, maybe they won't, but it'd be kind of funny. Apparently, the dog's real name is De Niro, which they felt like they needed to tell us. Um, but anyway, this mysterious woman comes, and her name is, um, I think, Dodge? Dodge? I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm pro- sure I'm not. So she's obviously like a former, she looks like she's former Borg and now she's human. Probably that's, and I'm thinking that's probably why 7 of 9 comes into play because maybe she's coming to help this woman. And speaking um, of like 7 she, of 9, 20 years later, still hot as balls. Like she, she hasn't aged a day. So I think, I'm assuming she comes back because he used to be Lakutus, um, cutest of Borg, and maybe she feels like he understands, I'm assuming. Um, and he also killed the Borg queen. I think she needs help. Um, and then they show the Starfleet off. He goes to Starfleet to like get help for her. I think it sounds like maybe he's ignored in the trailer. And then the Starfleet officers try to get her. Um, so um, I think... Uh, uh, so then I think he gets together with, like with a ragtag group of people to try to help her. It looks like that's what he's trying to do. Um, and then the new crew is um, Allison Pill comes in as a researcher. Um, there is a, a Starfleet pilot. There is a Vulcan who carries a sword. I don't know. That I think his name is Narek. Um, there's also a Starfleet officer that I heard has abuse problems. She's on the show. Um, and then... Um, they they should show that like the Borg cube would it looks like there's like panels taken out of it so I think like it's been like maybe, refitted yeah refitted and then I know that um, there's Romulan shoulders they show I think that they they show that girl like a flashback sequence the the Borg the girl that used to be a Borg so I think they must have had Borg prisoners on this maybe this cube on the Borg cube. Um, and then there's like a sign that I know Sky mentioned that he noticed that says something about. This facility is, you know, what is it? Like has gone however like how many days that has been board free or whatever, yeah, like so. five thousand eight hundred days or something. Um, so that's interesting. And then, um, so maybe where like people are 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 thinking online, maybe the Romulans captured this board cube and then like are using its tech. Um, Seven and nine, like you said, is back. Then it ends 
with uh, Picard playing cards with Data. I think my first reaction was, oh, this is probably like a holodeck sequence. Maybe this is maybe this isn't really Data. I mean, they're gonna, Data's going to be on the show as like just in the holodeck. But then I think people really want Data to be back. And then they're again, they're like, is it his brother? Is it his evil brother? Or is it the B4? But B4 is not like sophisticated enough. So, but, so yeah. Me, I haven't watched Nemesis in since it came out. But what yeah. Data basically almost like tucked away his memories inside B4 before he sacrificed himself, much like how Spock kind of tucked away himself inside McCoy at the end of Wrath of Khan. Yeah, so like he held, he he dies at the end. He he take remember he puts that transporter on Picard and he goes transports back to the Enterprise. I've done my so best to forget about Nemesis. I I did oh, kind of yeah. have sort of have fun with it, but I've, all I remember is that was my introduction to uh, Tom Hardy. Oh, it's so bad on uh, that movie. So, but then he then he sacrificed himself. That ship is uh, called the Shinzon ship, and Shinzon is the Tom Hardy. He blows him blows up, and then later because B four is earlier in the movie. Um, and uh, like he's a less advanced version of Data. And then at the end of Genesis, before mentions to Picard, so Data's already died. He said, oh, he downloaded his, his like, his his memories into my positronic matrix or something like that. So I think Brent Spiner did, made zero effort to lose any weight prior to shooting this because he, <laughs> he's looking a little puffier. <laughs> Yeah, so that I guess he's been eating a lot of memory. snacks. So, oh, and then remember at the end, uh, well, you don't remember this, you said, but at the end of Genesis, Data is like humming the song that Data sang at at, at uh, Riker and Troy's wedding. So it's a kind of alluded to like maybe he'll, I don't know, maybe he is, maybe he, because he said he wasn't advanced, maybe somehow Data's, Data's memories like overtake before and he becomes Data. That could be an option or he also could be that uh, evil brother. So I don't know. I, I doubt that that's it either. Cause like who wants to meet the evil brother? So. It's, it's blatant fan service. People want to see data again. And this is probably yeah. the last chance to do so. So that, that, that seems, uh, seems pretty, pretty obvious to me. Yeah. And that brother, I think his name was lore. He was like, um, I think he was deactivated in like the first season of next gen. So I doubt that's it. But, um, my first, like I said, reaction was that it's it's data, it's data from the holodeck. It's not even data, which I think that's a great way to bring back data if he's in you know on a holodeck. Yeah, it's then it is like really- yeah, like Picard needs to talk to his old friend, and so why not just cook him up? Yeah, because by- kind of in that end of that sequence, he looks kind of sad, like he wants him back, and like as if maybe it it it's really not like it is just a memory. So I don't know, but that's that was just my interpretation. But uh, yeah, so that is like the bulk of what and that. When does that was. come out? Is it going to come out all in one fell swoop, or one one week at a time on CBS All Access, and then get posted all at once over on Amazon? So it says early 2020. I can't imagine that they're going to release it all at once. I think CBS All Access's strategy is to release one episode every week which i think is a really smart decision because then they I continue for to youtube because I get, I get way more traffic and it's yeah I, and, and it creates a conversation around the show around the yeah. show and that's what they've done with discovery and i'm in the star trek group on facebook it's like over a hundred thousand fans and just for disco it's so fun because every time every thursday night i think it was like the episode would launch and then like there'd be this great thread of people that would like go through why they liked that show why they did it and it was a really like fun group of people um to to talk about about it so it's nice to like do it in pieces and figure stuff out and then it's like all of a sudden you know someone's staying up all night and catching watching the whole thing versus you get to enjoy it as it goes but that was that one and then to, uh, the trying to think about well, lower uh, decks and it was also coming 2020s from the guy who created rick and morty i've only seen like a handful of episodes of rick and morty but uh star trek 
in the past has benefited from small dashes of humor from time to time. It'll be interesting to see what it's like for a show that goes all in on the humor, because obviously the Orville is a much more humorous take on something resembling Star Trek, and that's been wildly popular popular with some Star Trek fans, myself included. In a weird way, I'm, I'm more excited about Lower Decks than anything. Oh, yeah? Is, yeah, because I, 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 I don't like Discovery. I really intensely dislike the Short Treks. And so but Lower Decks could be a nice kind of fresh start for some Star Trek stuff that I feel like could be a lot of fun. But yeah, so Picard and Lower Decks, I'm actually excited just as a, as a, as a fan. Short Treks and Discovery, I'm sure I will watch them. But well, if you're making all me, this content, you know at least some of it's going to end up being pretty goddamn good. Yeah. Well, let me so let me give you the inter, uh, information on the Lower Decks. They said it's primarily social stories, but a lot of but it will be it's comedy. It's half hour animated show. Um, they actually think it might be kind of fun to, uh, they said this maybe if someone's never seen Trek before and like people who like family guy or animated shows and that's their first, they said they thought that that this, maybe this could bring other people into Trek that maybe are interested in like the live action stuff. So, uh, Jerry O'Connell is one of the voices he, he saw, he calls it the Downton Abbey of Star Trek. Cause it's sort of like the, the lower, the lower decks, the um, uh, up, upstairs, downstairs. Yeah. Upstairs, downstairs. Um, I thought I had a, like a description of it, but, um, the, selling uh, it as the Downton Abbey of Star Trek helps or hurts for me. <laughs> it kind of hurts, but that's just him trying to be clever. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's commander ransom, uh, the ransom, there's ensign Mariner, there's ensign Boimer and there's, um, they said that ensign Mariner is like, um, is good at all things Starfleet, but demoted a lot. Um, the guy that plays Jack, the guy uh, that plays Ensign Boimer, is he says he's by the book, uh, but he wants to be captain, but he's book smart and he sort of gets in his own way. Um, and they said that um, like he would like excel at the written portion of the driving test, but be a disaster when he actually drove a car. Uh, I have something about the show really quick. Let me find it because uh, it's just quick, quick description. I can't find it, but um, it's a. Uh, I mean, it looks. It seems really fun. They showed all the pictures. They showed like a holodeck, and the ships. The ship's going to be called USS Cerritos. <laughs> I think it's very California based. Um, Cerritos is a city in L in uh, California, and I think, I think that's what I have for that show. Um, I just can't find uh, everything for it. But um, the let me see, disco is that one is going to be um, they said they don't know who's going to be the captain in the future that that show jumps a thousand years into the future uh, further hopefully than they'll just materialize inside a star and for an entire season we can just watch their ashes scatter across the universe which obviously That's won't happen because we've seen discovery already in the short treks that in the future devolves into almost like a sentient life form but uh that would actually be a great little pump fake just like oh we, we, we oh yeah let's just kill this franchise that a lot of people love uh so they said the, the franchise that would just kill that show <laughs> Oh my God. So the crew may not have landed in the same place, they said. So I guess that there's a lot, of, they, they might be trying to find each other. Um, uh, Sonequa Martin Green said that it's the deepest level of discovery in season three because we have to figure out everything about who we are and who we are now. So they're trying to figure out like what the, what the, you know, human race or like is now and like what the world looks like a thousand years into the future, which is, that's such a far way into the future. There's a new character named Cleveland Booker. Um, and he, uh, let's see, he was, I don't know, he's, he's supposed to be like, uh, you know, pretty, pretty badass too. 
And uh, no, I think that that's all I have for the, I think that one. Um, yeah, they said. Yeah, that's pretty much it. They said that they're supposed to be. They shot some scenes in Iceland, um, and the character breaks. That new character breaks rules from the start of the season. Oh, the lower decks uh, thing. Uh, the 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 synopsis is it. It focuses on the support crew of one of Starfleet's least important ships. They said so. It's supposed to be like they're all kind of misfits, and then well, it's kind of um, like the Orville. The Orville's not the Enterprise. The Orville is actually kind of a, a ship for scrubs. It's not even an important ship in the fleet. So perhaps they yeah. saw that and like. Well, that kind of works, and it takes it lowers the stakes, and we can just relax and enjoy the characters. Yeah, and then about the Trek shorts, um, it says six new ones. There's two animated ones. There's one about the Tribbles. Um, there are three sh- Trek shorts that will have Spock, Pike, and Number One. So Rebecca Mer- Romaine will be in those. One of them's directed by, and I can't say his name, the composer Michael Gia. Giaccio, the one that writes the does the score for the new Star Trek films. Oh, I don't know. G- yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't pronounce his last name. Um, and they said one of them is Picard. It's a teaser for Picard. It's, it happens to what Jean Luc fifteen years before the series, it, and it kind of shows what's happening. Getting shit faced with this dog every goddamn night, <laughs> Enjo- enjoying um, his vineyard. But yeah, so that's the bulk of all the Star Trek news. Um, I know you're not super excited about Discovery. I am. I think it, it will really help them figure out, like I said, I think they made the mistake of having it be 10 years before. I thought that was a good idea. Obviously, they realized that, they're, that there was a lot of issues with that, so they are shooting it into the future, but we can't all be perfect and come fully formed in the first episode. Well, I do like Brian Fuller's initial concept where he's going to every season of Discovery take place in a different period. So I, I don't think his initial plan was to rewrite Star Trek history. I think his initial plan was let's have a glimpse at before original series. And then I don't think his original plan was to do what Kurtzman ended up doing. So it would have been interesting to see what Brian Fuller's uh, original vision for the for the show could have been. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that would have been cool. And I love Brian Fuller. And I was He's all awesome. in when I knew he was going to do the show. And I'm bummed that he ended up leaving it. But uh, but yeah, like I said, I'm clearly all in on all three shows. I love CBS All Access, and I love that. Like now, I feel like my monthly payment it's it makes more. It's it. well, getting more and more and more it, worth it. It gives you all the old Deep Space Nine episodes, and I will send you that list. So you can start chipping away at them. But uh, I look yeah. at Star Trek right now. This is kind of the same way I look at uh, Kevin Feige's announcements about the MCU, where there's so much shit coming our way. I know some of it will be good. Like if the MCU's got ten shows and movies coming to us over the next two years. That's a lot of content. Some of it. Will Will suck balls. Some of it will be mediocre, and some of it will be amazing. But they're playing the uh, the game of large numbers. It's like you go to a bar and you hit on a hundred girls. One of them is going to go home with you. <laughs> so, that's the way oh, I feel. No. That's the way I feel about Star Trek. What? <laughs> One thing I thought was really cool that Sneakle Martin Green did say about Discovery was she said that because these characters chose each other to go into the future with, they, they're a bridge crew family. Like they chose each other to lay left their families. So it just shows how much more they care about each other. And I really like that. It is interesting that they did that and they made that sacrifice. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to explore in the, the new season. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the other sci-fi shows that had a little news. The Orville, yep. no real footage or news apart from the fact that it's moving exclusively to Hulu and will be coming late 2020. So for Orville fans out there, it's going to be a year and a half before you see any more stuff on that front. But I'm just relieved that didn't get canceled. Well, I'm just relieved it didn't get canceled. I really thought it was going to get canceled. So the fact that we have another season is very encouraging. And just as we move into this new streaming war landscape, I know some people are like, fuck, it should be on TV, it should be on Fox. 
I'm sorry, but the old way of watching TV is dying like faster than we can even put into words. I'm I'm a realist. I just know that any cool show that we see over the next five, 10 years is going to be on Amazon. It's going to be on Hulu. It's going to be on Disney Plus. It's going to be on HBO Max, whatever that new platform is going to be called. That's just the reality. And I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to get all your content for eight bucks on Netflix. That's wildly unrealistic. And so people should just get over it. But we also had a Westworld season three trailer for coming up on HBO, which comes, I think, spring of 2020. It's definitely 2020, but whole new landscape. You don't even see a spur or a bitten bridle or a cowboy hat in the entire trailer. It's all dystopian, futuristic stuff. So I think it's really ballsy to have a totally new status quo for what's already a hit show on HBO. Is each uh, season, so I don't, I only watched the first episode of the first season. It really wasn't for me, but my husband really likes the show. And I heard there's a lot of Radiohead inspired music oh, yeah. in the show. Well, in the first season, really the cool. big thing is what they do is they have pop music from the last 20, 30 years, but it's redone as like an old fashioned, like Western style piano. Nice. So you're like, you recognize it. You're like, wait, what is this? Oh my God, like that's a Beatles song. Oh my God, that's a Radiohead song. And so the, the score of season one was particularly good. Well, is each season like a different uh, background? Is our the first two seasons Western? Season two was a continuation, but it did introduce like some stuff like a, a Westworld that's in J- ancient Japan and stuff like that. Okay. But it was still in the park. Westworld okay. season three is totally outside of the park because these these okay. AI have now entered the real world. And as you can tell, there's like a, a brewing war between AI and humanity. And I think it looks pretty goddamn cool. Yeah, I think that seems a lot more exciting for me than... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can just dive right in with season three and, and jump into season three and not know what all <laughs> exactly. about. Exactly. But for other star, uh, other sci-fi fans out there, the big news on that day was the a a long preview as well as a teaser for season four of The Expanse, which is now at its new home over at Amazon. What did you see out there? It's hard to put into words. Whatever happens, we'll deal with it together. People don't know the expanse got canceled. It was over at Sci-Fi, and there was such a huge fan outcry from the small but devoted fan base that Amazon saw an opportunity because there've been eight books so far. They've been massive bestsellers, and Jeff Bezos really wants to have a show that's as popular as Game of Thrones. The Expanse will never be Game of Thrones, most likely, but they have done a great job with the show. So they kept the same cast, same writers, same production company. It's just now going to be on Amazon instead of Sci-Fi, and it's coming out in December. And I'm up to, I've read through book six now. Book five is one of the most entertaining reading experiences I've had in the last 12 months. I'm just, my fandom for Expansion now is at an all-time high. And I I just, I love anything and everything that they've uh, decided to do with the show so far. And I urge people to take a crack at either the books or the show or both because you've got five months to get caught up before it comes out uh, season four on Amazon. Nice. I actually, and you're going to kill me, but I was in Hall H for the Westworld panel and I, I, I missed the whole panel because I wanted to get in line and get food. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fair. You, one must eat. and Comic-Con Yeah, but I did, they did reshow the trailer at the end, uh, which was, 
which so I got to see the trailer in the Hall Age. Oh, and this is totally not to go back to Star Trek, but just one quick thing: when Patrick Stewart made us rewatch the trailer, and, and because they showed the trailer, and people were like flipping out when the board cube, and then flipping out when seven and nine, and like it was it was like three in a row of like these cool moments. And Patrick Stewart, I think, was kind of annoyed that like people were missing missing what, the plot. And he's like, yeah. It's like you guys need. We're gonna re-show this, and you're. You, I want you all to be quiet. <laughs> so he, we all were quiet, but I think he didn't. He thought that we were screaming and missing certain things. They so were. I was, I, he, he was. He, he was right. So. <laughs> yeah, he was right. We did miss stuff, so it's true. But I thought I thought that was some interesting thing to note. Yeah, Patrick Stewart keeping it classy as always. <laughs> All right, and uh, I guess the only other big thing on Saturday that wasn't Marvel-related was uh, DC Universe had a panel where they showed a trailer for the animated Harley Quinn show, that which is for mature audiences. So if you like animation that drops the F word, as Becky likes to describe it, and has all sorts of scandalous material, the Harley Quinn animated show might be cool. But obviously, what broke the internet on Saturday was this giant hour-and-a-half-long presentation about the MCU. So I obviously love Marvel Comics. You are less invested. Mm-hmm. As an outsider's perspective... What jumped out at you about these 10 shows and movies that he announced that are coming out over the next two years? So a few things jumped out at me, which I thought was fascinating. So um, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I, as a movie fan, I've seen all the Marvel films except for Doctor Strange. I heard that it wasn't good. And I heard, um, so I just was it's like, in the, I have no- it's in the lower third, probably. Yeah, yeah. So I think I will check it out because I'd like to maybe be a completionist and see it. But in no way, I'm like on a one to 10 of a Marvel fan. Or one, I would say I'm a two. <laughs> well, I remember when we were watching the Marvel panel a couple of years ago and I'd just taken a bunch of edibles and you chose that precise moment to start telling me about why you think Marvel sucks. And I was like, all right, <gasps> <laughs> spoil it. Be like me sitting beside you at the Terminator Dark Fate panel talking about why I think like uh, Genesis was a lousy movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. So the thing is, is that I no way think Marvel sucks. I, 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 I like the Marvel movies. I liked Endgame. I like all these movies. I'm just like in love with them. And I, I don't really have a history with them. And so I like them as like good films and good stories. Um, I don't I think some are better than others. I think they're always a half hour too long. That's fair. Except for the Spider- and they certainly, except- some, are, some are much better than others. I mean, some Marvel Marvel movies are towering piles of mediocrity. Yeah, obviously I'm biased because I work at Sony, but I love the last two Spider-Man. I well, I really like the Spider-Man films. The last two, obviously, Marvel produced and made. I think that they're fantastic. I, I, I do enjoy these films. I do enjoy the lore, but in no way am I somebody you should be listening to as a voice well, what, of, speaking for of somebody. Spider-Man, though, the big shocker was that there was not a single word about Spidey over the next two years and a lot of people are like where's spider-man 3 like a lot of people were stunned that there was not some spider-man related news about the future of everyone's favorite webhead yeah i don't think sony would be super excited if marvel announced the release date of the next spider-man movie Fair i enough. think that's sony's um it should be able to be the one it's to their, announce their the playground next movie. so i think that's something that people saw into it um there will be another spider-man movie but uh, i think people read into that um, so don't read into it. I just think that that's not Marvel's place to announce the next Spider-Man movie because totally it is. Yeah. But um, so anyway, one thing I kn- thought was really interesting was so say they so what they did was they put the timeline up of just Marvel logos. And as they went through each announcement, 
then they would be like, and people would, th- it would go dark and you would think that they were going to show the footage, but the, what they would do was they show like an animated logo. And then that logo would morph. They would, then they would bring out the director and the actors. And then, then the timeline would go up and the Marvel logo would morph into the actual title treatment for that show or TV. So that's what they did throughout the whole hour. And I think it's hour and a half or whatever was the timeline got filled up. And then as the timeline went, there was like Marvel logos and then the real logos. But one thing was interesting was they talked a lot about the movies versus and, and the TV shows. But I had these people behind me in line. And when they mentioned that Falcon and the Winter Soldier was on the Disney platform, there was an audible, oh. Well, then they're I idiots think, because that got announced like six months ago that it was going to be on the Disney no, Plus platform. I know, but I think, yeah, these people behind me didn't know what they were doing. But what I thought was interesting was these people behind me were like, I think the, the audible uh, like sound they were making was like, they were annoyed that any of this stuff was on streaming. They wanted it to be films and they were annoyed. And then at one point, this girl behind me is like, okay, who's going in on Disney Plus? How are we going to, we're going to have to split up our money for this account. It costs about Which, as much as going to McDonald's. Like when people talk about, like, I'm not subscribing to another platform like it's like seven dollars like what the fuck are you talking about like you shit seven dollars without even thinking about it but it's just one of those things where i think people have this principle i'm only going to be on one platform it's like well i've got like 10 subscriptions right now it's still like a third the cost of my old cable bill so people just need yeah, to yeah uh, and then also you it. get more content and like a movie ticket would be more money but i think when yeah, people it's like 30 think bucks about- to see a movie in new york and it's yeah it's like seven ten dollars maybe to be a disney plus subscriber whenever the hell it comes out yeah but then i think people think about it as like a monthly amount of money and they think of it as like the year the yearly amount versus like the one time they go to the movie so i kind of get the psychology no, behind you log it, in, it you get your account you watch your show then you cancel your account you're seven dollars out and then you come back whenever there's something something yeah. new you want to watch it's like it, it just it, the the laziness and the stubbornness of some people just staggers me because there are a lot netflix they see a, a monthly churn for people canceling their account and then coming back for shows that they want to see and that's totally fair it's just like buying a movie ticket yeah so it, it was interesting like that was like the biggest takeaway i got was although it was great content and stuff there are people that have that perspective of like oh this is films this is tv shows like it's not as cool or not as important and i think that i felt like that was something but most of the thing is that Everybody lost their minds over everything that he announced, no matter what it was. I felt like he was like, I had a ham sandwich for dinner. And I was like, ah! yeah. people just like losing their minds. So it was fun just to sit there and be like, is this cool? It's like uh, Beatlemania. Okay. They're just screaming. They yeah. don't even hear the music anymore. They're just, ah! just screaming. Yeah. They're there so to scream. I just lightly clapped throughout the <laughs> episode. I mean, the episode throughout the panel. And I remember thinking, Jamie will explain what the importance is of all of these shows and movies. But I have I have written everything down so I can I could jump in and stuff. But well, the obviously things that jumped out to me that I was excited talk. about just as a Marvel reader and a Marvel fan, I am excited to see what they do with the Eternals because the Eternals is basically Marvel's fuck you to Warner Brothers and their attempts at doing the new gods. Jack Kirby, one of the all time great comic uh, artists who obviously created Fantastic Four with Stan Lee and then uh, was even like the artist on uh, Captain America back in the 1940s. When he left Marvel, he went over to DC, created the New Gods, which was not a success, but it was like four or five monthly books that he was writing and drawing all of them. And it created this giant New Gods, uh, kind of basically fourth world, brawling shared universe. And it was really cool. And then when it didn't quite work out, he eventually came back to Marvel and did basically a New Gods ripoff for Marvel called the, e- the Eternals. And it has a lot of common ground where they both feel inspired by Norse mythology or Greek mythology, especially the Eternals, where it has names that are variations on traditional Greek gods like Athena and names like that. But mm-hmm. if you like 
the weird side of Marvel, if you like the sci-fi side, if you like the cosmic side, the Eternals unlocks all that. And because even there are a lot of diehard Marvel readers out there who have never read a comic with the Eternals ever. Like it's a really obscure niche series and a collection mm-hmm. of characters that almost never really has a, a massive readership. It allows the Marvel to freedom to basically kind of rebuild themselves from square. I just, I just think it, they're basically just unlocking a giant corner of the Marvel universe that previously has not been explored. And the Inhumans got ruined by that just abomination of a show that Jeff Loeb did. The Eternals should have been the Inhumans and that because they're, they're cooler characters and they're more popular and more beloved. But because Jeff Loeb poisoned the well and shit the bed with that show, the Eternals is the next <laughs> next best option. So I am excited for that. I'm very fired up for WandaVision because WandaVision obviously is going to reunite Vision and Scarlet Witch, but it leads into the Doctor Strange movie. Doctor Strange, and it was the official name. It's like a, and like has a really Doctor fr- Strange and the in the multiverse of, of madness. madness. But I love the how they're acknowledging that the shows will not only be in this universe and be relevant that in terms of story directly tied into the movies. So you can pick and choose what you want to watch. But if you want the full mosaic, if you want the full sprawling tapestry, you better be up to speed on all of it. And I, I, I just Scarlet Witch so far has been underserved a little bit by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She's always been a favorite character of mine. And I just love the idea of like a giant supernatural horror movie about the multiverse involving two of the most prominent spellcasters in the Marvel Universe. I think that sounds insanely fucking cool. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's like the first MCU horror film, too. Like they said, it's going to be very horror. Yeah, and, that, and then, you know, obviously they mentioned that they're bringing in Mahershala Ali as Blade, which is also a supernatural horror side. I just like the fact that Marvel's trying to unlock additional genres. And speaking of unlocking additional genres, we got good old Shang-Chi coming in and The Legend of the Ten Rings, which opens up the door to China and martial arts films. And we get a proper Mandarin played by Tony Leung, one of the best actors in the world. So it's cool just how new some of these concepts are. Admittedly, many of them will be lame and many of them will be mediocre, but at least has the potential to unlock a lot of new doors and a lot of new universes that won't feel familiar to fans who've been following these movies for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I remember it was like the cinephile community was like freaking out about um, was it Tony? How do you say it's Tony Leung? I say Tony Leung. I could be totally f- yeah. fucking it up. But well, I, 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 don't I, I remember know, but... being like, who is this? But everyone's freaking out about him. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, well, you got yeah. you got it's the um, hard boiled, the, uh, the John Woo film. He's incredible in that. You've got obviously uh, Wong Kar Wai with Chungking Express and uh, In the Mood for Love. I mean, he's one of the greatest actors that walks the earth. He was obviously in Wong Kar Wai's like the Grand Master, but he's a major, oh. major actor. And to have him play the Mandarin, who's one like, he's like on the level of Doctor Doom, Magneto. Like, he's not as popular or as well known but in terms of importance and power he's one of the essential marvel villains so i just love the idea that they're giving um that they're, they're taking that character seriously awesome so uh do you do you want to go through just like name off all the ones well in terms that of they order did, you got black widow come in may 2020 which has uh taskmaster he's a great villain you got the eternals november 2020 you got falcon winter soldier fall 2020 and daniel Brule will be back as baron zemo he's going to wear the mask February 2021 is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Spring 2021, WandaVision, Loki, as well as Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Got the animated show, What If? Summer 2021 Mm -hmm. with Jeffrey Wright as The Watcher, which is pitch perfect, brilliant casting for hardcore Marvel fans. What If's one of the coolest comics because it's just, what if? Like, what if Thanos won Infinity War? What if Dark Phoenix never died? What if, and you can just explore anything you like and they can be, it opens up a lot of cool doors. 
Fall 2021, you got the Hawkeye series, which will bring in the Kate Bishop character. November 2021, we got the one that made the biggest headlines, Thor Love and Thunder. Taika Waititi's back in the director's chair. They're adapting parts of Jason Aaron's Mighty Thor run. And Natalie Portman will be picking up Mjolnir and giving some fans the female Thor that they've been rooting for. And just to clarify, a lot of people out there who have not read the comics think that somehow she is going to replace Thor or be the new Thor. When Jason Aaron wrote his, I think it was called Original Sin, at the end of it, Nick Fury whispered something in Thor's ear that shook him to his soul, to the core of his soul so badly, he lost the ability to pick up Mjolnir. He was no longer worthy of carrying his own hammer. And he spent like a, a month on the, on, moon, on the moon trying to pick it back up, and he couldn't. He left. He went off and got this giant battle axe made, which was totally badass. Promptly got his arm chopped off by Malekith, so he had to attach one of the destroyer's metal arms on. So Thor was just a mess. But he also became like much more savage, much more badass, because he just had to kind of, he couldn't rely upon the power of Mjolnir anymore. But Jane Foster went up, picked up the hammer, and for a while you had like the unworthy Thor, the son of Odin, and you had the mighty Thor, which is Jane Foster, coexisting side by side, going on adventures together. Uh, much like when Beta Ray Bill, back in the early 80s, picked up Mjolnir, he became Thor as well, and then Odin ended up having to make him an additional hammer. The point is, there are a lot of Thors out there who are worthy of the hammer, including Captain America. So I think some people who are, have a knee-jerk reaction, they're trying to get rid of the, like, the white, heterosexual, blonde-haired male Thor. They just they don't know their source material. The Jane mm -hmm. Foster and the Mighty Thor will coexist peacefully side by side, and you're just getting more Thors for the price of one. So did, did Nick Fury regret telling uh, Thor this thing that paralyzed him? Well, it was the, in the original Sin storyline, Nick Fury kind of went on a rampage, and I can't remember how the story ended, but what, like, uh, the Watcher ended up getting killed, and the Living Tribunal ended up getting killed. It was just, it was totally bananas, but it was basically Jason Aaron in the last 10 years is probably the second best writer to work at Marvel. He's been writing Thor for many, many years. Probably the best 21st century writer on the book, Thor, has been Jason Aaron. So people need to give credit where credit is due because Taika Waititi, did you see the trailer for um, Jojo Rabbit, which just dropped today? No, I didn't. I didn't get a chance. It, but I saw you did a reaction video. Ridiculously funny. Like, Taika okay, Waititi cool. is one of the most wildly imaginative and creative guys out there. He has an incredible sense of humor. People that are getting pissed about the Thor love and thunder just need to tap the brakes and recognize that Taika Waititi is funny. Chris Hemsworth is funny. I have a feeling they're going to knock this fucking movie right out of the park. Yeah, I mean, it. it uh, people were very excited about that, and they gave her, um, is it Mjolnir? Mjolnir, yeah. <laughs> Can't say it right. Uh, they, they let her hold it, and it was, was, there was a lot of cool pictures of that. So she, she, she looked great, and there was a lot of talent on the stage. It was exciting. Um, and it's like, so it's six new, uh, six new Disney streaming shows, five films they announced. Um, and then Feige at the end literally was like, oh, I don't have time to talk about Fantastic Four or Mutants. He just said that like in passing. He's like, but um, I do have time for one more thing. And that's when Mahershala Ali came out and then put on the blade hat. Um, so that was interesting. Very cool. Mm -hmm. well, uh, well, the blade cap for like the movie. Blade doesn't wear a cap. He just wears his sunglasses. Yeah, well, that's what I meant. Yeah. I meant the ca a cap that said blade. And then I read this article, which I was showing, talking to you guys about uh, the other day, which was cool. Because I said, essentially, the cinema Herschel Ali, after he won his Oscars, like called up Disney, call. asked for, yeah, oh, asked I to want meet with Kevin Feige. And I don't think Kevin Feige, I guess, wasn't even on his like radar to do Blade right now. And he said, like, flat mm. out, I want to be Blade. Yeah, Oscar winner starring in a movie. Sold. And I know also he said that GOTG Volume 3, Black Panther 2, and Captain Marvel 2 are on the calendar, but we no release date set. But I, I, I do like the fact that he at least acknowledged that Fantastic Four and Mutants are on the horizon. Those are two of the biggest 
libraries of characters of superheroes in the world and the fact that they're now back under the roof of Disney, they could do 10 years of movies just with those characters and ignore everything else and have plenty of toys in their sandbox to play with. And just right now, if Kevin Feige is manages to maintain a certain level of quality control, because they're obviously making so many shows and movies, so we know some of them are going to suck. But if you can maintain a certain level of quality, potentially the Marvel Cinematic Universe could get richer and more complex and more exciting than ever. But once again, he's only one man, and it's hard to supervise all these shows and movies. Yeah. You could see a dilution of the Marvel brand. You could see a decline in the Marvel brand. Nothing lasts forever. We've seen plenty of franchises start to suffer, but... I remain very excited about the possibilities. And at the beginning of the panel, he brought out like I think it was like fifteen of the of his team members, like including Eric Carroll, who's somebody we work with a lot at Sony, and uh, like just said, "Hey, for the Infinity Saga, all these people worked on it. It was very important to them. It's their lives and livelihood." So it's nice that he brought out his whole team, and it wasn't just like this is all me. I've done everything. Um, well, which I is think cool. of him and as it, the arch- architect, but he's, yeah. got, he's got a lot of builders. He's got a lot of people making helping make his. Uh, his grand plan a reality because yeah you, you need he probably has a hundred producers working on all these fucking shows and movies and and to another interesting thing to note is there's two female directors of the five films chloe zhao who did the writer a lot of people beloved that not that movie was beloved a lot of people liked it a, a oh, lot last she did year the writer the one with the guy with like mm-hmm. the head injury in my video mm-hmm. i was like i've never seen any of her movies any of her movies but i have seen the writer so uh i yeah, lied in my youtube is- video Oh, okay. Well, the rumor is that it's shot on 16 millimeter. They didn't say that, but that's a rumor I read online. But they said that she would bring something new and different. And yeah, and the writer, I know a lot of people just absolutely loved it. I like that movie yeah, a lot too. So that's different. That, was a good, that was a good flick. Yeah, and it's also cool because they they tend to do that like with John Watts. They'll like cast somebody who's done like one film or done some smaller films and they give them a huge shot. And it's nice that I think some of the criticism that I've seen online last year or so have been like, how come they do that? They give the shot for these male directors. They don't do it with females, but they are doing it. Uh, gotcha. Like, also, because they're cheap and they can be pushed around. And yeah. they, <laughs> Probably. If you, if you hire and, a visionary, guess what? They have they can throw their weight around. If you hire Christopher right. Nolan, he's not going to follow your vision. But if you hire Probably. someone who did a hundred thousand dollar micro budget movie, they're just thrilled to be there. Dave Cameron's like f you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then this Australian director for Black Widow. They also show Black Widow footage. Did they? They didn't release anything. Right? They didn't release or it did- at all. Yeah, I know. Like Florence Pugh is in there as her sister, and Florence yeah. Pugh or Pugh or however you say. It, she's one of my new favorite actresses. I loved her in The Outlaw King. I really liked her in Midsommar. I think she's got some amazing chops, and I'm thrilled to see her get that opportunity. But Taskmaster is she- a really cool villain. Is she, because I know in the footage, Scarlett Johansson calls her sis. They're not, are they really sisters or they're just like they were trained together and they're like consider each other like sister? question and I do not know the answer because her character's name is Yelena Belova. And I don't know if they just were partners in crime, but David Harbour is in there as Alexi. But Taskmaster is an interesting villain because any skill that he witnesses, he can replicate. So he doesn't, he doesn't, not really like, like if he sees Thor, he can't like make lightning bolts shoot out of his butthole. But if he's hanging out with someone who's like a martial arts expert, he can imitate their styles. So it makes him very formidable as an opponent. So it'll be interesting to see how they tackle the task. And he's just also got a great look. I'm sorry. <laughs> like the T-1000 can imitate anything it touches, exactly. except it can't replicate moving parts. But he's, just just cool. he's, all he's the- covered in weapons. He has a shield. He has a big skull mask, a big white cape. He's just got a great kind of old-fashioned, hardcore look. So I, The footage I, was really cool. Uh, it takes place in Budapest, and Scarlett Johansson, uh, a character, like uh, goes up to um, knocks on the door, and then they have this huge fight in the kitchen where um, they're like, they, they like, 
break all the cabinets and then they like try to they try to snuff each other out with a curtain in the living room and then they finally just stop fighting and then like I said Scarlett Johansson said Black Widow calls her sis and then they showed this taskmaster scene at the end where they're sort of she moves just like him they're like they're like you know mirroring each other or something but again people were freaking out and I, I didn't know what I was watching but it looked cool my only knock against the Black Widow movie is that it is a prequel it takes place before Infinity War and I'm a big fan of forward momentum it's something I talk about all the time on the podcast where I'm not a big fan of filling in the gaps in between movies because the stakes are just lower you know she's not going to die in the movie because she's around in Infinity War so it's like it immediately makes the movie feel less tense and less suspenseful I'm a big fan of like not knowing what the hell is going to happen so it just feels like it feels like filler in a way. And if you want forward momentum in the Marvel Universe, you're going to have to wait basically a year and a half for Falcon and Winter Soldier, which hopefully will be cool as shit. I mean, I, I just love both those. Captain America is my favorite superhero. I'm a big fan of his history of having partners in crime. They're not sidekicks. They're partners. I love both those characters. I'm really fine. So in fall of 2020, we get the Eternals and Falcon Winter Soldier, but it's going to be a while before we get new Marvel saga moving forward. Do you think that uh, it'll be important uh, because that they're setting this this uh, Florence Pugh's character Yelena to be set up as a new Black Widow? Maybe that's what this movie's doing. Maybe I don't, I don't know. I mean, just like I mean, Scar Jo is such a massive movie star. If it's a hit, maybe they'll just do like fifty weird little sequels that act as filler. But I just I hate filler movies. Like I hate how Star Wars tried to do filler movies. I just move the goddamn story forward. That's what stories are supposed to do. If you want to tell your story out of order, like Pulp Fiction, go to it. But I hate movies that feel insubstantial or irrelevant because it's not going to change the status quo. In Marvel Comics, you're always trying to create the illusion that something might happen that will change the status quo. We know that Marvel Comics is permanent second act storytelling. Like, it's never going to like end, but basically it's like an elaborate trick on the part of the storytellers. How do you make it feel like it has stakes, even if we might rewrite it or redo it like a few months down the road? And when I feel like this Black Widow movie, it'll be hopefully fine, but it's not going to be some runaway success because no one's really worried about the future of the MCU or how it's going to affect it because we know it's not going to affect the MCU at all. Yeah, that that's interesting. Uh, it's also nice to see you uh, criticized. You also criticize Marvel, so you can say, "Hey, I, I, I'm I'm fair." I'm, I'm happy to be a dick about any topic under the sun, <laughs> even directors like Sam Pakaba and Orson Welles, filmmakers that I intensely admire. I love it. All right. Well, are it. there any topics, shows, movies, concepts that we have not touched upon from your giant San Diego Comic Con sojourn? No, I think that, I mean, I, I love how you covered a lot of the stuff that I didn't see. Like I said, I love, if, if footage wise, I, you know, you lose a day when you're waiting in line all day to get in a Hall H, which is what I did. But it's important to, to note if you've never been to Comic-Con and if you want the Hall H experience, unless you can, you know, get one of those handful of passes and you have, a, you know, to get in, just walk in, um, you know, somebody like me, I have to wait in line all day to, to get that experience. It is, you've done it, Jamie, and it's, it's, it's pretty hardcore. And I'll never do it again. <laughs> it broke me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny because uh, on Friday morning I got, like I said, I got in line at eight, and then I think at noon I went. Uh, no, at three o'clock, my friend uh, David actually I wanted to promote him. He uh, has an IDW comic called Canto. It came out a few weeks ago, and it already as is as on like its third issue run, and it sold out in the first ten minutes of uh, preview night, which was exciting. But he did do some signings, and I left to go to a signing on Saturday on Friday at three o'clock, and I walked over to the exhibit floor. 
and I was like a zombie. And I didn't realize it at that point. It was seven hours in the sun, but you don't know how much it's affected you until you walk over and you're like, my arms were peeling for like two weeks after that experience. Cause I I, I thought we were going to have like an umbrella or I was like, Oh, we're just like sitting out on like black asphalt soaking in the rays all day. (laughs) My crew that I was in line with this year, all of them had umbrellas and except for me. And then when they offered me an umbrella, when they left to get lunch, I'm like, I'm fine. And then seven hours later, I like practically passed out when I was walking to the exhibit floor to get, to have my friends signing. But yeah, it was a great show. Uh, It was amazing. Well, that's weird. My microphone just said, had an issue, but I will post uh, that uh, probably by the time this posts uh, and just, it just gives you an overall, like it shows uh, like the collectibles I bought and like what the Comic-Con looks like and and just it just it kind of gives you the overall experience so I think that's a fun thing to look at so look out for that but um, overall it was an amazing uh, convention um, I love it and I feel like I'm around my people and this is my 15th year in a row I can't imagine not going it's just a wonderful place to be um, and um, this was one of the best Comic-Cons I've ever had and I think one of the reasons was one it was infused with Star Trek I mean there was on the exhibit floor that gallery exhibit that an hour and a half hall age presentation on a saturday it makes me feel so excited to be a trek fan and know that people appreciate it but also that terminator footage i don't think i've ever had footage emotionally affect me the way that that did um so that was really um intense and exciting beautiful well on as a way of bringing this episode to a close i'll just say this is going to come out tonight or tomorrow so it'll be before the release of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood but if you've ever enjoyed a Tarantino movie I strongly in the most enthusiastic words that I can muster urge people to go check it out if you hate Tarantino I know people out there who don't like him it's not going to change your mind but if you like Tarantino get ready for have a, a to have a big old smile on your face because the movie fucking rules so if you like this podcast please remember to rate favorite subscribe all that good stuff hunt us down on twitter you can find me at colbrax and if you want to see some videos you can see my shiny bald dome on youtube geeking with james hancock but we hope you enjoyed this podcast more importantly as always onwards and upwards ain't like it used to be but uh, it'll do you know how to whistle don't you steve you just put your lips together and blow